0: Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon, and a warm welcome to Eiffel Schmidt, where we have all been looking forward to your visit. My name is Jan Huno Asmussen, and when I opened our Capital Market Day in London back in 2007 in January, I had just a week before inaugurated our new machine factory of 12,000 square meters in Qingdao, China. And I explained that it would form part of our infrastructure for our plant growth into minerals. Half a year later we executed our most rewarding acquisition to date which accelerated our expansion into minerals. Now with the risk of repeating ourselves this year I have in January inaugurated our new machine factory in Qingdao this time of 37,000 square meters and now We are launching new strategies which will push our expansion into minerals and into cement much further. We have a tight schedule to save your precious time, but we wanted you to meet both our Chairman and all members of Group Executive Management and put a few questions to each of them. There will be just a short break at 4.30 to give you an opportunity to see a bit of the real world of how we, from here in Valby, control a complete cement plant, for instance, in Egypt, online, as we did throughout the entire Arabian spring without one stop of production for the only plant in the country. And eventually, your patience will be rewarded with a good dinner. Now, there's no such thing as a sustainable, successful development without strategy. And a good place to start is to recognize your present position, which for Eiffel Schmidt today is not too bad. Why? Because we have over 130 years built a strong competitive position. But as a spot that there are very few new listeners today, I think it's <laughs> safe to move on. It's also a well-known fact that one of our advantages is our asset-light business model which secures stability through any market cycles. And today I'll just highlight the fact that our recent increase in investments of insourcing of certain spare and wear parts does not change this picture at all. We may be moving from say 15% to maybe maximum twenty five percent in house manufacturing of components. Compared to some of our minerals competitors, who probably have fixed assets for in house manufacturing of more than half of all their physical needs of hardware, or practically the other way around compared to FLSMIT. We've also had a long history of strategic acquisitions. And practically all of those mentioned here have delivered more than we planned and expected for. Why? Because we've always been loyal to our four very strict criteria for any acquisitions. So far this year, we already acquired one company, CPEG. That's our first acquisition in China after a couple of years of trials. And by the end, I will get back to our largest potential acquisition at present. But first, a brief overview over the transition that Eiffel-Smith has gone through over the last decade. At the new millennium, Eiffel-Smith was still primarily in cement, with two-thirds of the turnover, only one-fifth in mineral, and completely dependent upon the cement cycles. But in 2007, we made an important strategic decision to balance the cement and minerals activities and increase the customer services activities. And we took the most important step on 10th August 2007, which changed our world, when we acquired Dolly Weimco and Krebs engineers from DLMV in Canada for 1 billion Canadian dollars. By the way, at a multiple of a little less than 15 times the EBDA. With that, we overnight acquired the full process flow sheet, especially in copper. Because we had already transferred all the comminution technologies that we had developed in cement and were equally useful in minerals as well. We had, through a number of small acquisitions, acquired a leading position in material handling, and now we finally got all the leading separation technologies from DLMV. From then on it was just execution and last year, in 2011, we obtained our 2007 strategic goal when our minerals activities for the first time ever surpassed that of cement and became 56% of our group turnover and even 59% of the group results. So then we were ready for the next level. And that's why we spent all of last year preparing new strategies. Starting with a new vision that in the future we will be our customers preferred provider of full service, sustainable minerals and cement technologies. And service and sustainability are exactly two areas where we are decades ahead of our Chinese competitors. Also, it's not a coincidence that minerals is now ahead of cement. To be focused means for us focusing on six core industries, which are coal, iron ore, fertilizers, copper, gold, and cement. This is not new, but we will not diversify into unrelated industries, and that's a promise. Instead, We will differentiate ourselves through full service. And being a full service provider means to us that ultimately equipment and machines will not be the end. It will just be means to obtaining service for our customers. Lifecycle approach means to us that we will be offering total cost of ownership which is less than that of our competitors. And we will be working to obtain a full flow sheet within all our prioritized industries. And through that, it is our ambition to become market leader within all of them. We also have the tools to do this by way of three strategic themes. First and foremost, customer intimacy. That is getting closer, establishing relationships so that it's not all about price. But also product leadership through innovation to ensure cutting-edge technologies and offerings. And finally, operational excellence that is maintaining our ownership to seamless sales and execution. (coughs) Our new strategy also is reflected in new financial targets. That we will deliver an annual revenue growth, which is above the market average. That means we will be increasing our market shares. Our new key indicator will be the EBITDA ratio, avoiding the previous confusion about some of the purchase price allocations. And the narrow range that we are proposing now is indicating a more stable development. The rest of our targets are unchanged, let me mention that in light of the increasing investments in acquisitions, we have also been considering how we can be more transparent on our returns. It's difficult on the individual acquisitions for two reasons. First, the most successful acquisitions are completely integrated into the rest of the group, like GLMV, which means that it becomes impossible to isolate and measure the actual returns on the investment. Secondly, if we are too transparent on both planned and realized synergies in an acquisition, we're just helping our competitors in the race for the next target. However, we will discuss with our board by the end of the year to announce a target for the return on capital employed at group level, which we will then follow up on the development of annually. We've also developed our group structure and organization to support the strategy and prepare for growth. And in doing so, the first step was to get completely aligned and agree into detail about differences in our industries. They share the same basic technology, but they are commercially different. Cement is local business, whereas in minerals, there is a global supply chain, and our activities are where the resources are located. In cement, the global demand is growing slowly, but steadily, whereas in minerals, we see a boom for at least the next couple of decades. In cement, there's a high fragmentation whereas in minerals we see a strong and even increasing horizontal consolidation. So we need to align with our global customers. And eventually, apart from basic technologies, what our industry is here is cyclicality. But fortunately, we vary different cycles, even different cycles for the individual minerals. And that is why exactly it is important to have a combined exposure to both of these industries to reduce the market risks. Now, based on these facts, it's not a surprise that the major customers within both industries, they organize systematically differently. All the major cement customers, they are organized along geographical regions. Why? Because their regional markets are so different. That they need to be autonomous. Whereas in minerals all major players are organized along global commodity business units. Therefore we need to negotiate at a global level frame agreements with these customers and then from there we need to jump down to the very local level where we are communicating directly with the individual mining managers who are in all cases strongly involved. We boiled all these and a number of more facts about our markets and customers and our internal strategic and functional demands into 10 key design principles for our new organization. I'll show you that in a minute. And then we considered four high-level options of different solutions principles. We could, for instance, just adjust our existing structure, but that would be too tight close for the growing body. We could also go for geographical regions, which would probably be an ideal solution for cement, but it wouldn't solve minerals. A better solution was to split along technologies, cement technologies, material handling and minerals processing. But that requires coordination, for instance, There's also a need for material handling in cement. Finally, we could go for a global setup along commodities, which would probably be ideal in relation to the global minerals customers. But at present, we don't have the critical mass of volume within the individual commodities except for cement. A very detailed systematic check showed that only the third model with the split of minerals in material handling technologies and minerals processing technologies, could fulfill all of our 10 design principles. At the same time, this solution at present is almost identical to a split along another dimension for our prioritized commodities or industries into two types into bulk minerals that primarily need material handling technologies and into non-ferrous minerals that primarily need minerals processing technologies. And with that, we had all the necessary bricks that we required to build our new structure, developing from the existing two simple legs into four different divisions, increasing global focus across industries on services, now also to be reported externally. Splitting the expanding minerals products into two units with different types of products, material handling, primarily for bulk minerals, and minerals processing, primarily for non-ferrous. And eventually, cement is also strengthened with a global dedicated division of its own. These four divisions can now optimize the customer intimacy in relation to their different types of customers, also using the tool of product development that we have decentralized into the four divisions. Whereas, on the other hand, in the back office, we keep integrating and sharing, for instance, global sourcing, research in Denmark back-office engineering in India so that we keep harvesting synergies and we maintain our flexibility in relation to shifts and cycles in the different markets. These industry-focused divisions are all dedicated and have the full responsibility for the primary needs of their different types of customers. They all have their individual profit and loss account, they have all the necessary resources and they have the full control of combined sales and execution. Now being loyal to our principle of customer intimacy means delivering exactly what the customer needs and how he wants it and that is what our new structure is supporting. For instance, service customers They live in an entirely different world from their capital colleagues. And we need to serve them with special people, with special tools, and special technologies that are entirely different from products of new capacity. But they are shared across different industries. And that is what our new customer service division is offering. Synergies in concepts, in the use of service engineers, in the use of our global physical footprint in bulk materials they share a great potential for investment in material handling that we can serve with all our existing product portfolio they also have needs of minerals processing but to a much lesser degree and we are less equipped to serve that yet. Non-ferrous minerals such as copper, gold, alumina, pulp and paper, they share a huge investment potential for mineral processing technologies of which we have by far the majority in our flow sheet and in our product portfolio today. And eventually cement that I already covered. Now... In Efflesmith, we believe in focusing. It served us well to grow. We are confident that focusing on customer services as a separate division will increase the percentage of service activities for our group. In the same way, we are convinced that our focus on bulk will leverage our material handling competences and hit exactly the bullseye in the market where these needs are exploding. But of course, generally, when you focus on something, what you do is simply to isolate it. And thereby you are, of course, creating a coordination need. This is not new, it is not surprising. And of course, it was provided for also in our new model. And the solution is what we call key industry directors or kits. This important new global role will have Within each, their industry, the responsibility of ensuring market intelligence, of driving the industry agenda, including needs for product development and or acquisitions, and practically to coordinate needs for projects with combined technologies. And here today, you can meet our cement kit, Pierre Minard Christensen, who is very experienced in this industry. And also our second largest mineral, copper. The copper kit is well known to many of you. His name is George Robles, and he was heading all our development within our global minerals activities from the mid-90s till 2007, when he was appointed our copper kit and uh, relocated to Santiago, Chile, where all important copper customers in the world are headquartered. So, here's our new group structure with four divisions that have comparable turnover, and you will also see that they have the approximate comparable global potential market, and they are all huge. It should be mentioned, though, that in addition to the service division, we do have additional service activities in niche product companies and Combining it all means that the service part is by far our biggest segment with approximately one-third of all group activities. In line with the expanding activities, we've also expanded our management capacity by 50% in group executive management so that we now have, for the first time ever, two non-Danes heading up Ethel Recently our head of bulk, Kristen Jepsen, was headhunted by one of our major global customers, Alcoa. And we are very proud to be able to serve our customers in many different ways. <laughs> and it's also given us the opportunity to promote Carsten Lutt, 49 years old, who is an engineer and MBA. He's been with us for 24 years, and he's uh, been developing our filter technologies the development of air tech to become a major global player within air pollution control. And Carsten Lund will be here also today and this evening. Outlook and guidance, they are unchanged. We see a, a macroeconomic development that is very promising with growth in emerging markets and developing countries. The latest Positive surprise is that apparently also the U.S. is stabilizing at a high growth level of 3% in the first quarter. So we see some strong structural trends, emerging market consumption growth, increasing infrastructure investments. Both of these leading to resource constraints. There's human capital shortages, which is again increasing the investments in equipment. But of course, like any other metal, there's a flip side. And with increasing activity in emerging markets, you also have emerging market competition. But um, we are prepared for that, and we've been used to it in cement for many years. Finally, some of you have noticed that we have systematically been working to enhance our footprint within coal and within Australia. And in this connection, we have offered to buy the Australian company Lutovici at a price of approximately 2.3 billion Danish kroner. Our bulk division has all the material handling products that are needed in the coal industry. But we are lacking some of the minerals processing technologies, for instance for coal washeries, for coal preparation plants, which our non-ferrous division will now get access to through Ludovici. And these technologies will also be useful both in copper and in iron ore. It's also important to mention that 65% of Ludovici's activities are in the aftermarket, which will be integrated into and reported through our customer service division. Since the majority of the technologies in Ludovici are mineral processing, their new chairman is planned to be Pete Flanagan, out of Salt Lake City, heading all our minerals processing activities. And then it will be the responsibility for him, together with the existing management that we plan to retain, to further develop Lutovici and to ensure integration. And it will be the responsibility of our coal kit, which is Dave Woodruff, a very experienced minerals manager within our group, to ensure that we offer the optimal combination to coal customers of material handling from bulk and of minerals processing from non-ferrous. Fortunately, it's realistic that this transaction could close in June this year, and if so, we will overnight establish ourselves with a similar strong position in coal that we acquired in copper with GLMV in 2000. And seven. And with that, I'll be happy to take a few questions.
1: Please.
2: Um, yes, thank you. Kenneth Lining from uh, Danske Markets. Um, could you talk a bit about the uh, risk that you see uh, associated with this uh, organizational change that you're making? When do you think that you'll be fully implemented and how d- how do you see I- it in terms of yeah the risk that it uh, affects your operating performance negatively this year?
0: It was uh, operational uh, on the 1st of March and uh, things are progressing completely as planned and um Uh, We don't see uh, any major risks. Uh, When we talk about uh, operational excellence uh, executing uh, projects, we haven't introduced uh, any risks. I would actually say uh, uh, on the contrary, because the the, um, different departments that are executing projects are unchanged. It's just sort of the combination uh, at a higher level that is uh, adjusted. And we have in connection with our new structure also introduced a new unit uh, for um, EPC uh, excellence. And this unit will be a sort of uh, flying squad uh, of the most uh, experienced advanced uh, product managers ensuring a best practice and moving in whenever there are projects out of the ordinary to assist any of the uh, four divisions ensure best practice so um, we don't see uh, uh, any increased risks in execution in the new structure
3: Uh, last time from uh, Carnegie Uh, on one of the first slides you said that the target was that low-cost country sourcing should increase from 40 to 75 percent yes I wonder if you could, could uh, add a little flavor on that. What's the time perspective? What would the cost implications of this be? And uh, would uh, the cost effect uh, be beneficial for EBITDA or would it rather be beneficial for your competitive position?
0: Uh, and the, the short answer is both. Uh, and uh, it's actually uh, something we have uh, uh, we are getting used to. Because uh, in our first strategy that we talked about in 2007, uh, I think at that time we only were only about 5% uh, uh, low-cost country sourcing. And, uh, and we set a target of uh, increasing that. And so we've gone from 5 to 40%. Um, there were a couple of learnings uh, to do the first year or so uh, to get the quality right, to get the timing right. And we learned that, and our suppliers learned it. Uh, so it's working well today. So we are confident now to take it to the next level. And uh, we have uh, in the past, and we will continue to do so, we will spit uh, those savings um, between uh, preserving, protecting market share and uh, strengthening uh, our results. We will not um, accelerate the process because uh, we will not sacrifice uh, quality or timing. So um, it is. Um, I can't give you uh, a date when we achieve the 75, but uh, it's a continuing process.
3: And is this embedded in your 10 to 13% margin uh, ambition?
0: Yes, it's part of the, it's one of the plans, as there are other contributors, yes. Thanks. A question here.
4: Yes uh, Patrick Se from uh, Nodea. Um, if I previously we have been discussing this is primarily a growth strategy um, and I know some of your competitors which you are benchmarking you are against is putting a number on the growth c- in the coming years. Uh, why have you not been willing to do this?
0: We are recognizing the fact that uh, we are in, in six uh, cyclical industries. And it's difficult for us to predict exactly how these uh, six uh, industries will uh, develop over the next one to two years. Uh, We feel pretty comfortable about the first year. That's why we've been very specific in quantifying uh, growth here for this year. And we've said for the coming years that we are confident in our plans that we will be able to to, uh, conquer market share from our competitors. And that's why we say we can grow more than the market. But um, you'll probably know as well as we do uh, at what speed the market will grow, and that's why we haven't uh, uh, guided anything on those figures for coming years.
4: Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. And I think uh, with that, to stick to our timetable, we will move on to our new focus, which is customer service, our very important segment which is headed up by my colleague Bjarne Molkem, who has uh, been with Eiffel Smith always. And he has, uh, <laughs> he has uh, for the last couple of years, um, been residing in Chennai, India, sitting on top of our biggest engineering house. We have 4,000 employees in India today, and it's uh, one of our very strong uh, competitive uh, advantages. So it's a pleasure to hand the floor to
5: Bjarne. Thank you very much, Jan. Can you hear me now? Um, yeah, correct. I relocated approximately two years ago to, to India. And, um, and uh, what I will do now is really to take you a tour through the development we have been through in customer services over the, the past uh, almost seven years. I've actually been looking after customer services since 2005 and it had been quite a journey. What I will uh, uh, focus on here is uh, uh, our the development we have been through the customers and the industries what we see are uh, the potentials really are the strategy and uh, the value propositions and the market drivers and the outlook I will start with this iceberg because an iceberg probably illustrates illustrates very well how you can consider the potential we see in customer services it's not only the price when you buy a or start a project, or a flow sheet, or part of a flow sheet, or a piece of equipment. It's really the lifetime perspective. It's really the cost over life, for instance, operation and maintenance, for instance, wear, for instance, energy, etc. So when we look at customer services and the potential, we consider it's really as a everything below the water. The purchase price is actually only the tip of the iceberg. In 2005, when we really started to focus on customer services, we said that we are not only a company selling large projects. We are a, a, a. a we, we really want to transform ourselves to a much more service-oriented company, and by strengthening the aftermarket, we actually get the best of two worlds, because we will get much closer contact to our customers every day. We will get higher loyalty by doing that. And then customer services, because it's related to wear a lot and improvements a lot, then it's uh, much less cyclical than the big projects. This is the development we have been through when it comes to order intake. um, And this is including all product companies. So this is actually what we reported for 2011 uh, when it comes to order intake. So as, as you can see, we have been uh, through a development from approximately 1 billion DKK to 7 point something billion DKK. And you can also see we had a, a peak in 2010, and that was due to more than 2 billion order intake in O&M projects. And you don't get these O&M projects every year, at least not a lot of them. This is the figures as the new customer service division look like, and uh, you have to remark that uh, it is excluding approximately one third of the customer service businesses which is which is sitting in the um, uh, the product companies and mo- most of the product companies are now in the three other divisions in cement and in bolgen in nonferris as you can see we uh, we realized 5.3 billion last year right. and we we expect to uh, increase that intake uh, we also expect that our revenue by that is of course will uh, increase and we foresee stable margins going forward we have actually been f- able to grow our business by 10 to 15% over the last 7 years and we don't see any sign on why we should not be able to to increase that going f- uh, to increase more than 10% going forward. All the three divisions—cement, bulk, and non ferrous we can actually serve them more or less in the same way when it comes to customers. When it comes to customer services, so when it comes to parts, services, upgrades, installation, commissioning, back office inventories, and operation and maintenance—or just maintenance—we mm-hmm. uh, can basically use all the same business concepts. Our business models for all the three uh, verticals, but that also takes that we need a very close to have a very close uh, cooperation with uh, with the verticals and with this with the other divisions, as we actually also have today. Why uh, are we confident that we are able to grow the customer service businesses uh, going forward, and why have we actually been able to grow the customer service business since 2005? And here you can see these are some of the very important focus areas. I mean, just take an area like uh, customer service projects, small projects. This was really something like eight years ago we didn't do at all. We were known for big projects, 100 million euro projects, 50 million euro projects. But we see there is a big need for upgrade projects, going in, analyzing a plant or customer's plant, the performance of a plant, but we need to organize it differently. That's the reason why such a, a, a division or such a business unit fits very well into our customer service division. Because it's a small unit, typical 15 people, going in like a small company, analyzing the flow sheet or the, the plant of our customers, making the proposal very fast, not three months, but a few weeks the same team is actually getting the order the same team is executing like in a small company the same team is commissioning and the same team team is getting the reward so and we have been able to growing that to like a 1 billion dkk business now from zero another area where we have focused is a lot on uh, alternative fuels again this is all about saving on energy and uh, and uh, again We see customer service as a very good organization to embed and start up, incubate, you can say, uh, all these kind of new initiatives, really. I will come much more back to uh, our ICE um, uh, initiative also, and um, uh, our 24-7 effort, which we have now opened in in Chennai, in India. The super centers is also, again, uh, a way to get very close to the customers, Etc. So there's a lot of initiative we have taken and will, and we there's a lot more into that going forward. Going to the to the customers really, uh, then customer relationship. It's all about that when we talk about customer services. We cannot just do customer service sitting in a big center as you can do with with a great advance when you are in a cement project business, for instance. But we have to be present out there. We can do a lot of aftermarket Uh, we could do a lot of back office stuff in uh, centralized but we have to be present on site with customers where also all the decisions are taken our customers are uh, in cement bulk and uh, non-fairs really uh, global regional and locals and here are some of the examples of the big customers we have of course all the big ones in uh, like heidelberg Holsom, Lafarge. we have regional customers like uh, Titan, Cementia, etc. And we have local customers in India like JP or JK, or we have like Escrow in the US, etc. And in in, um, in bulk, we have like BHP, Rio, and um, Barrick, and uh, regional uh, customers like Codelco, etc. And in non-fairs, we have the same split. Again, so these are the customers we are focusing on, and this is the same customers as we have in the projects, of course. But here we have interfaces through all kind of levels, uh, really, because the decision-making process is different when it comes to spare parts or maintenance of a plant. There's a lot of key opportunities around in the world, and of course the dynamics in the market are different. Some markets are very hot, some are less hot. Um, and um, in South South America, for instance, we see a lot of potential for greenfield plants with potential O&M expansions as well. We have this super center effort both in Chile and in, uh, in Peru. In North America, the market is mature, uh, but there are some expansion opportunities there. We have to harvest on the big installed base already. Uh, for instance in cement we have built more or less half of all the cement plants in the world so of course there's a big installed base to tap into and again we have the super center effort in Tucson uh, in Europe again a very mature market for instance when it comes to cement and also when it comes to to uh, the, the minerals uh, so so there's own there will only be a, uh, a few new plants opportunities really but then we have the Middle East and we have the Russia where there's also there will be a and um, uh, a new opportunity for, for services. And again, uh, Russia is a starting market, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities for service there. South Africa, we have expanded a lot in South Africa. We are building now a super center in Africa. Uh, there's a lot more to do, ac- including the acquisition we did it with ROIMEC. India there's a very good install base. We have built a lot of cement plants in India, uh, and... Um, and uh, and we also have O&M contracts now in India within the, the bulk area. Australia, sh- huge potential. And as you saw uh, just before, Jan Hone Rasmussen told that two-thirds um, of, uh, two of the business in Ludovic will be in the CS business, a lot of potential. And then uh, a relatively remote area like Mongolia, where we have just uh, sold uh, uh, several flow sheets uh, and we are building a super center there, that will be a, a big potential, especially in remote areas, to set up uh, a, a decent uh, service uh, uh, channel of uh, spare parts and um, and uh, support for, for our clients. Why uh, have CSA in a separate division? I mean, first of all, I think we can prove that just the focus we have been doing uh, Doing really on services since 2005 has paid off a lot. Uh, so just the visibility, really, internally and externally also, that we have a, a, a focus on service helps a lot. And now we also start to report the P&L externally. Um, a service culture is important to continue to improve in our in our group because again, service business is really fast business. We have to be able to deliver. Uh, a lot of quotations very fast. Uh, we, our customers can typically not wait uh, several weeks on a spare part quotation. And again, uh, for big projects, we have few uh, large quotations, but here it's like 10,000 of, uh, of quotations we do every year just in cement. And the same goes for, for bulk and uh, for non ferrous. We can share a lot of these options. We have a lot of our uh, models. The idea is, of course, or what we already do, if we have uh, developed together with a customer a, in, an upgrade, we can take that and refine it and make it standardized so we can sell it uh, to other clients. One, two, we can do the same to, uh, to, uh, in, in the free verticals, really. The four main strategic levers, as we see it, is uh, operation and maintenance, super centers, and local services. It's all about planned operation and equipment services and acquisitions and services. Operation and maintenance, this was an effort we started four years ago. Four or five years ago, we got the first uh, contract, O&M contract, in the, in Egypt. That was on the Ramlaya plant. The customer, it was actually a turnkey EPC plant we, we, we did. And uh, we, um, uh, the customer was so happy, so he ordered a new plant, and we also got the second contract for, for running his uh, his cement plant. It's a five-year contract, and we are now running seven. uh, We're doing seven uh, O&M contracts uh, all over the world, Um, and um, and it's all about helping the customers about uh, running the cement plant. We get paid per ton, Uh, we uh, we get paid per energy. Uh, consumption, and uh, the customers, he can just focus on selling the cement. O&M is a lot about people. It's a lot about people management. We have different solutions in, uh, in, um, in uh, O&M. We can just add, you can say, some management. We can also an- uh, add full management uh, systems and uh, p- only people and maintenance systems. And then we have the full-blown O&M uh, model where we actually hire like 240 people, management, supply, spare parts, etc., and run the cement plant for a typical three to five years. This is of course our preferred uh, model, but we actually uh, we are actually executing all kind of uh, all all these free models and also doing just maintenance contracts. It's a really mm-hmm. a win-win situation, the O&M contracts, and we see typical, uh, we have uh, examples where a customer, they f- uh, getting uh, a project finance because of, first of all, to get a f- uh, project finance, you need a feasibility study. If that proves the market is there, uh, you need to be sure that you can build the plant, if we can build the plant. But uh, last, you also need to get the plan operated in a proper way according to the feasibility study, and we can also offer that. And when you, we combine this package, then uh, uh, we see our client actually get, uh, provided we are the o- O&M operator, we get the client get the financing in place. We know a lot about uh, the plans we are running, and we can, of course, uh, take that back to our R&D and our engineering. And the O&M contracts are the M contracts we have in uh, several countries, as you can see in Mexico, Chile, Tunisia, Libya, uh, Egypt, Angola, Zambia, and India now also. The super centers, we see a big need for uh, being closer to the customers, and the super centers is really an effort where we make a center uh, focusing on uh, spare parts, critical spare parts. We can offer refurbishment, take a piece of equipment to our warehouse or our uh, workshop and redo it and install it again in the customer's uh, flow sheet we can take the customer into our super center train his people um, in maintaining in maintaining the flow sheets and the equipment and we can also do sales out of these uh, super centers we have now in the pipeline uh, uh, eight super centers in uh, in in the pipeline in Tucson in Chile and in um, in Peru, in South Africa, in, uh, in uh, Australia, and now also in Mongolia. And I just see that we will get more uh, in the future here. They're not necessarily all need to be as big as the, what we're building right now, but that will depend on the need. This is a picture of a typical SuperCenter you can see at your right uh, here. And they're all built up in modules, so we can just scale them up. Plant operation and equipment services, this is about how to improve efficiency of the of a, a customer's plant. Sometimes it's just small uh, changes you need to do, a uh, few million euros maybe, uh, and then you can enhance uh, and improve the capacity or the efficiency, the throughput, etc. Um and that will of course maximize the the return on investment. We see that uh, of course our clients go for fast uh, payback, and uh, so an a, a important part of all these services will be also will be the calculations of the payback, of course. And um, we are um, cooperating a lot with our customers about monitoring and uh, repairs and refurbishment, replacement, upgrades and audit, etc. These services uh, we do that with local manpower, but we, of course we use all the skills we have here in in the entire Effa um, Smith organization. And there we have a very strong uh, cooperation with the technical centers in Salt Lake, in Bethlehem, in the, in Valby, and in Chennai, uh, where where all the the brains uh, really uh, are. And then of course we have now invented this new ice center, and you will see that uh, here in the break. Uh, and this is one of the ways where we differentiate our, uh, our efforts uh, towards the competitors or compared to, to the competitors. ICE is Intelligent uh, Collaboration Environment. This is really a center where we collect a lot of data, where we can hook up on, um, on customers' uh, cement plants, for instance. Uh, I think today we have access to more than 100 cement plants and we can get into an uh, online dialogue with the customers about the performance on their plants. Um, it is a, a way to get in contact to us 24-7. We have a one number you can dial and you can get uh, directed to the right experts in the FL Schmidt organization today. Acquisitions, uh, the, the last uh, uh, lever... Um, a typical example here is that we acquired a service company doing uh, kiln alignments, but it's kiln alignments for the entire industry, not, so, not only in cement, but also for kiln uh, for limestones, etc. Everything, basically everything that is uh, round and, uh, and and rotating and warm, uh, we can align, and um, and uh, this is what we are doing there. And uh, here we got uh, by such an acquisition, we got a, a good brand, uh, technicians. And we got uh, a, a global footprint. And that's a com- uh, fantastic match to, uh, to our own um, already existing service businesses when it comes to alignments. And we will see more of that going forward. So the value proposition or the way we think uh, when, we, when it comes to service is really that we have a lot of local manpower that has to be at the spot, on site or in super centers or in smaller centers, very close to the customers, we link that or hook that up to the global brain power, depending on what kind of uh, services we are really talking about, or the need to the, the need the customer has, and then we use, you can say, our systems, our IT systems to uh, compare to benchmark, and of course the end the end goal is of course that Eversmidth is will always be the partner you go to. You, 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 you call when you have a, a big problem and you want something solved on your plant or improved on your plant. The market drivers and outlook are in service, of course, basically the same as in the, in the capital side. Uh, it is about a growing population, urbanization and increased uh, prosperity. Uh, we see um, uh, the decreasing ore grades requires more output so you ne- also need uh, much more sophisticated technologies, etc., or improve the efficiency of your flow sheet to be able to to gain what you actually want to have a a, a decent return on investment. And then uh, there's a lot of operational drivers. I mean, again, the O and M or the the operation part is the biggest cost uh, in all their flow yeah. sheets, of course. So so customers are focused a lot of energy and a lot of output and a lot of wear. Uh, and a lot of uh, uptime, etc. So, this is basically customer services, and I'm ready to take any questions, of course. Yes,
3: Lars. Lars Toppen from Carnegie. A question on cement services. Uh, if you look at your service contracts... Uh, which proportion is for uh, plants where the kiln was delivered by Sonoma or KHD or <laughs> Uh Today
5: we run only um, uh, O&M uh, on almost only one is uh, everything not supplied by us. But but the intention is, of course, that we end of the day will also do O&M on the competitors' plants.
3: Okay, Thanks. Yeah, uh,
6: Daniel Patterson from Inskilda. On the uh, super service centres, it sounds very good. I, I you know, I, I think, but have you actually won any deals or landed any new customers on the basis of these new super centres? Is it actually making any difference yet? And also, what are you seeing your competitors doing here? Are they following suit and doing the same thing? Um,
5: t- there were several questions here. I mean, first of all, many of these super centers are in the pipeline. Uh, in Mongolia, we see there's a very strong link uh, between the customers up there know, knowing us starting uh, this uh, supercenter effort up. Uh, because uh, th- this has really been important for them uh, tying up with Eiffel uh, with, with smith also for the big projects that they know we have a super center in the pipeline. Uh, so, so, yes, I think there's a strong link because, I mean, again, if you are in a very remote place and you place an order uh, by Eiffel smith uh, you also need to get it serviced and uh, you need to get it supported afterwards. So, therefore, I mean, to be present is very important.
6: And on the competitors, are th- what are they doing on the service
5: side? Well, th- I don't think they call it super centers. Uh, I have at least not heard that. But um, but uh, they have of course also um, uh, kind of uh, service centers around in the world, and that's the reason why we need to to be to be present. Uh, yeah, <coughs> but I don't think they have such a big effort as we have.
7: Klaus Keel from uh, New Credit Markets. Could you try to elaborate on the margin um, potential in this uh, business area? You had a margin of 16% in 2011. Should we expect it to stay at that level, or could you take it to, let's
5: say, 18%, 19% going forward? Uh, as we, um, we have already mentioned here, that we expect it will be stable going forward. Uh, so this is uh, how we see it. I mean, and there's quite different... Uh, S- uh, margins in the different services we are actually um, uh, providing. So, so we expect a, s- a stable level, but an increasing business.
7: So, there's no operational leverage in this business, or?
5: Yes, there are, but we will also use it to get more business. Thank you very much. No more questions. Okay.
0: Bjarne Malka said uh, these investments in uh, supercenters are great. Um, we haven't invested anything in Mongolia yet, and we already got a complete cement plant just with the intention of building a, a supercenter later. So uh, it seems to be a very good investment for us. With that, thank you to Bjarne. We are moving to another area with a huge potential for us. That is the... Uh, Material handling needs in bulk materials, and um, heading up that is uh, Kristen Jepsen, who's uh, been uh, in our with our US office for many many years, who's uh, been heading our expansion in minerals from 2007 up until today. So uh, we're sorry that he's uh, leaving us, but it fortunately is not until to summer. So uh, until then, we make the most of him. And uh, I'm happy that Christian will be introducing you to our new bulk division. Thank
8: you. <coughs> and uh,
0: again, a warm welcome, and uh,
8: thank you all for taking time out of your busy calendar to come here today, which gives us a great opportunity to, uh, at least for me, to enlighten you a little bit about uh, bulk materials. Uh, bulk materials and its activities has uh, always been part of, uh, at least for the last several years, part of the uh, the mining activities, and might have been a little overshadowed from the uh, success of, uh, of others. So uh, I am being told that I have to do this. So welcome again to a uh, <coughs> presentation about uh, bulk materials. The agenda that I would like to walk through is basically to discuss uh, who are we, uh, what do we do, and uh, how do we do it, and then end on a, uh, with, a, with a few slides that talks more about the, uh, the industry drivers uh, that we cater to, the outlook, and uh, a slide about uh, the strategic initiatives to support the strategic plan that was approved uh, not too long ago. So let me start out just to present to you uh, who we are. And as you can see, and this is important, this is called the bulk materials division. And in principle it stands on two legs. It's the overall uh, bulk materials handling activities, which I call BMHs. And then there's another part of the uh, division here that, is, that consists of three product companies that uh, are all household names, if you will, uh, coming from the uh, cement side of the business. And I just wanted to spend a few minutes just talking about those three product companies. First of all, Eiffel Mark, which is our center of excellence, if you will, when it comes to drive solutions. And it also, uh, the, our, where we have all our gear technology managed out of Switzerland with big footprints in, in Poland and, and lately in Italy. We have Eiffel Automation, which is our center of excellence, if you will, when it comes to process control and electrification of all solutions that we provide to the market, cement, bulk materials, and uh, non-ferrous. And you'll see some of their products and services in the break, because they are the ones spearheading the, the ICE uh, solution. Eiffel AirTech is our center of excellence when it comes to air pollution control, which is an area of uh, the activities we are involved in that's becoming more and more important when it comes to, to emissions control. Um, the most, imp- not the most important part, but the bulk of the activities in bulk materials is actually bulk materials handling. And uh, I'll come back to that in much more detail because that's, that's the gist of the, uh, today's uh, presentation. Uh, together, we are around uh, 3,000 employees in, uh, in this division. We are, uh, oh, you saw in the last uh, uh, annual accounts, so that we have a consolidated revenue of around 5 billion. And we cater to the, uh, the six industries uh, that we have presented to you as part of our uh, strategic plan. Uh, our activities uh, mirror through the profit and loss account, uh, as you can see it here. And uh, if you go through the past three years, you can see, a, uh, at least in terms of the, uh, the order intake, a year-on-year year, uh, growth between 10 to 11, 30 percent on the order intake, mirrored through the profit and loss account, also with a growth percentage of 30 percent. And as you can see, we believe going forward that both those numbers are increasing in terms of uh, the level and thereby the activity in the uh, bulk materials uh, division. And least not last, the EBIT ratio, which last year came out at uh, 4.5%, uh, percent, where we uh, claim that this is going to uh, increase strongly in the years to come. So you can expect a certain amount of uh, performance when it comes to, to the bottom line. As I said before, what I want to concentrate on here is the bulk materials handling, actually where we, where we, where we transport, where we handle uh, the uh, raw materials, the finished products, the tailings, etc., etc. This is the biggest part of the activity in bulk materials handling. And as you can see, uh, or it should be explained, that, that materials handling has always been part of Evel-Smith. It, it came from cement. It's, we had proprietary equipment in cement in those days up until the mid-90s, when we acquired two companies in Germany, MBT and Koch, and combined those into one and the same company, now called Evelschmidt-Wattgassen. Later on, we also acquired a couple of companies uh, within materials handling, foremost uh, RACO in the, in the U.S., and Conveyor Engineering, also in the U.S., followed in 2010 by the uh, ROIMEC acquisition. And basically, what we do in, the, in bulk materials handling, on materials handling, we are now in a situation today where we have the complete portfolio when it comes to all the technology that is required in what I call the three steps, if you will conveying material, be that raw or bulk material, from point A to point B, provide stacking, blending, storage, and stockyard management, which is typically within the flow sheet and away from the flow sheet. At least not last, which is a, actually an important and, and, and fast-growing segment of what we do in, in bulk materials is port facilities being import-export, knowing well that more and more material is actually being exported and there is an import terminal on the other side. So there's a, a huge opportunity here when it comes to support facilities. This is basically the way we are organized. In the middle, you have uh, our technical center that's also where management resides, and that's down in Wattgassen in Germany. That's basically the, uh, where we acquired back then MBT and co And in that headquarter where we have our overall management residing with respect to bulk materials, these are the, the those activities you'll find down there is, uh, first of all, uh, our technology. That's where it resides. Those are the guys who have to make sure that our Our design is consistent. This is where we also have our research and development activities. This is where we do the overall product engineering for the entire group. This is where the the big proposals are being developed and also executed with the support of, on the top, the technology centers, the product companies that I talked about before, and marketed throughout the world at the bottom part where we have the sales and execution footprints, footprints that we will continue to build out in areas where we see materials handling activities and opportunities going forward. So the latter part down there, the light blue, is sales and execution. Out to the left, I have noted India, which is a big back office for our engineering activities when it comes to bulk materials, similarly to what we do in the other parts of efrl mid. In terms of uh, what we do, here's a, a typical flow sheet, if you will, within uh, uh, bulk materials handling. It's difficult to see, but it's basically three, three things. There's, uh, there's no uh, point on this one. But the green one up there, I, I call it to, within and from the flow sheet. So where we're involved is actually out in the pit, out in the quarry, where we, c- where we convey material from the pit, as you can see on the green circle, into the flow sheet. And then you can see within the flow sheet, there's a host of different materials handling application that will basically move the material within the flow sheet. And even within the flow sheet, there are certain, and that's the brown circle, you can see certain applications where we basically reclaim, we stack, we store it within the flow sheet until, and that's the blue circle, until it gets transported away from the flow sheet, be that uh, on ship, be that on truck, be that on, uh, on, uh, on tr- uh, trains. So if you look at bulk material sanding, the beauty about bulk material sanding is that a ton of material will be handled up to three, four, five times. And it all requires technology that is different all the time. So that means that this market that we're talking about here is quite big, which also allows us to grow. And uh, I believe, and I should have said that initially, this division is one, I believe, is one of the fastest growing in Ethel Smith, based on the market opportunity out there, based on the fact we have all the technology, and based on the fact that it's a growing market in general. So remember the three buckets, conveying is one of them, and here you can see part of it. Uh, the, the, the little picture up to the to the right, you can see there how we uh, how we basically out in the quarry, and in front of this conveying belt we actually have a crusher, which tells you that we also work together in this in this particular case with Pete Flanagan over in the non-ferrous business, where we combine our efforts to go out and prom- promote uh, solutions here in a so-called in-pit crushing. So we combine crushing technology, which resides in a different division, with uh, conveying technology. And you can see where the uh, where the conveyor belt ends, another starts, and that's typically a uh, conveyor that goes over land into the uh, into the flow sheet. And I'm only showing this picture to make sure you understand that selling a conveyor belt is not just a piece of rubber on a on a steel structure. This is actually sophisticated engineering. And you can see how that particular pipe conveyor, which is another application that not too many can offer to the market, uh, runs through the uh, runs through the landscape. Up, down, it's curved, there's a lot of steel around it, there's a structure around it. More importantly, the real know-how is to, to understand <clears throat> how to design this to convey 20,000 tons of material an hour. And that's where we are today. This is the amount of, of <clears throat> material we can, we can convey in a, uh, in a safe manner. Not only that, you have to feed the belt, you have to unload the belt, you have to make sure that if something goes wrong, you can break the belt. So there's a lot of uh, know-how involved in in doing these particular conveying systems. The second uh, business area, if you will, is the uh, stacking, the blending, the tailings, and the stockyard management. So within the flow sheet, there's a lot of blending going on, (coughs) either before it goes into the process or even after the uh, process. And then there's a host of different uh, applications, if you will, to basically manage the stockyard before it gets shipped out again on trucks, on rail on, on ships, and here we also have all kinds of uh, equipment where we have the, uh, the, f- the full range of uh, materials handling uh, technology, which leads to the, uh, the third business area, if you will, the uh, the port facilities again a growing uh, a growing uh, business opportunity because as you know, most of the bulk materials Metals and minerals that we're involved in, which is typically coal, fertilizer, and iron ore, is huge tonnage. And a lot of this is actually seaborne. So, a lot of the material that is being mined in one part of the world will end up in a ship and go somewhere else only to be imported. Well, you need just the opposite of an export terminal. You need the import. So, in on one end, you have loaders, and on the other end, you have unloaders. And then again, there's a host of systems behind that in order to basically manage that tonnage being transported to ever wherever it's going to go. So again, ship loaders, unloaders, conveying systems, transfer points, etc., etc. A lot of engineering and a lot of systems opportunity. So just in summary, in terms of what we offer to the market, basically, all the equipment you can come up with in terms of technology, we have in our portfolio. So when we talk about bulk materials handling, we are not necessarily looking to acquire technology because we have almost every piece we need in order to put it together to, to a complete system. We have all the engineering traits in-house, typically mechanical, electrical, uh, uh, the, um, the uh, what are they called? Anyway, I'll come back to that. But we have them all. Uh, manufacturing and fabrication, I, I put that on here just to make sure we all understand that we don't manufacture. Again, we are part of the asset-light model. So again, we acquire, again, from third party based on our design and our, and our drawings. We offer more and more uh, civil works, so we will go out and install these systems, uh, not just deliver the uh, the conveyor belt or the onloader. We will indeed install it, and that's because this business is very, modest, very much a solutions business, and that's a competitive advantage that we need to further piggyback and uh, improve on. We provide, of course, all the erection and commissioning, and then, as Bjarne said, all operational services, and also here we are already today maintaining certain... Uh, transport systems uh, in different parts of the world. And as you can see here on the picture to the right, this is sophisticated in terms of engineering, all the steel, and all the infrastructure that goes into, in this case, a, uh, a conveying system. So, question is now, how do we actually do it? First of all, if you take a look at who is our actually our customer base, the biggest opportunity we have is, of course, uh, around the, uh, the mining companies. And similar to what was said before, this is the way we look at it. We look at the global diversified miners, diversified being miners that are in more than just one uh, industry or handling one metal, if you will. We have regional, we have local, and we have also the junior miners. And actually, I think our latest announcement was around the junior miner uh, with Jim Delby in in Australia. We also uh, work with the global engineering houses, but not as much as you will hear Pete Flanagan when he talks about non ferrous In in particular on materials handling, typically the market or the the structures and the business model is so that we go direct to the miner himself. Therefore, customer intimacy becomes even more important because we have to be in the face of the customer almost 24-7 to have a chance to to do business. And we also do that through the mining service companies. Uh, Certain companies out there actually do for a living maintenance and they buy some of our equipment. So they are also an important uh, customer group. Utilities. And you have seen some of those announcements last year, in particular, in, in, in years previous, particularly in India, where we unload coal and we basically convey it to the uh, to the power utility itself. That is a very large market. So utility in itself, steel, we work with uh, steel producers again, again typically to transport iron ore to the furnaces, etc. And then of course uh, cement, where we have a big in-house customer in terms of the overall cement activities that uh, you later, will, uh, peer later, will, will talk about. So this, this is our customer base. And of course, we are, we're not alone. There's also a lot of competitors out there. And uh, I have not been able to put them all on this slide because there's actually many, many there. Are. In this business, you'll find many local uh, competitors, uh, not, not competitors with the same breadth when it comes to the product portfolio, but many local that have one or two products. Whereas we can uh, supply the uh, the entire uh, suite, similar to what you will find with some of the uh, the competitors that I have circled in here. Interestingly enough, many of them are also headquartered out of uh, Germany. In terms of uh, value proposition, uh, since there are that many uh, competitors, what is it that we can offer that will make the customer come to Avelsmid and not go elsewhere? As had been said before. The key to success is for us to be able to create value for our customers. The day we are not able to to convince a customer that we can create more value than the next guy, we are basically outcompeted, and we will not be in this business. So here I just want to highlight four parts of what I call uh, uh, customer value and how we create that and how we intend to further reinforce that going forward. As I said before, material handling is very much a, a solutions business. So as you saw in some of the pictures, you can imagine that this is not off-the-shelf standard product. This is actually something where you sit down with a customer and you tailor-made it based on how his quarry looks like, how his flow sheet looks like, and how he's going to transport it away from the, uh, from the flow sheet. And innovative solutions also, of course, piggybacks our ability to constantly come up with new solutions and ideas to how to, to create value for our customers. And we spend quite some time and resources in the bulk side of the business to come up with new applications that will help our customers uh, basically improve and create value for them. I'll come back to what the drivers are. The other important uh, component for Ethel Smith uh, is the one source. And luckily, uh, we in bulk materials are part of Ethel Smith because as soon as we combine our efforts in bulk material with non-ferrous or cement and then wrap around, Customer services, we have a n- unique solution that nobody else can match in terms of a, of a one-source uh, solution. And later on, I'll also talk about why this, this is important, seen from a customer standpoint. The third one that is becoming more and more important is sustainable solution, make it greener. Some of the competitors here are the guys with the trucks and the shovels. We are trying to basically convince our customers to remove trucks and shovels from the pit because they emit, they are not safe necessarily, and very costly, depending on where your mind is, and there we have certain solutions that can compete, and when we talk about sustainable solutions, the most important one is water and water con- conservation, and there we have combined again with non-ferrous solutions that can basically recuperate a lot more water in the uh, flow sheet, bring it back to the flow sheet instead of continuing consume from the neighboring uh, communities, and there we see quite an opportunity to, to, to grow the market. The last one I said before, this is a solu- solution business. We cannot just go out and sell a piece of equipment. Nowadays, you have to go out and offer a combined solution, wrapped around with steel and also erected. So therefore, EPC, which is engineering, procurement, and construction, becomes more and more important here. And as I think who said before, we will piggyback the outstanding, <coughs> the outstanding uh, skill sets we have in Eiffel-Smith when it comes to uh, EPC and how to, to manage a, a complete supply. So this is uh, basically our, our value proposition. And when we then go to market, I mean, we have to look at what, what drives uh, customers. First of all, you heard this before, industrialization, urbanization, more people coming to, to earth, a bigger middle class that needs more metal and uh, cement in particular. The other important one is the depletion of the ore, which means we have to dig more tonnets out to get to the same output. At the same time, we have to go deeper and deeper and deeper to find the, uh, the good ore, and that's a great opportunity for, for material sanding because as you go deeper, not underground, but as you go deeper, you have to remove a lot of overburden. Last year, we announced PT Adaro, a coal job in Indonesia, $100 million. We don't touch the coal. We just remove the overburden for the customer to get access. That pit alone is the same size of Copenhagen. That tells you a little bit about what, what, what market we're up against. Customers are looking at cost-effective solutions CAPEX, which means we have to, again, source cost effectively. More importantly, they're looking more and more at OPEX. Total cost of ownership, as Bianca talked about. Reduce labor cost, reduce power, and make it safe. Again, safety. Environmental, sustainable, I just mentioned that. Water, emissions, noise, dust, all something that we can cope with. And now more and more importantly, that goes for everything we do in mining, not just bulk. Our customers are trying to reduce the interface with its supply base. They want to do business with fewer. And as they do that, they look to customers or suppliers who have the complete portfolio that can come to them with the entire solution, not just the capex, but also the opex. So how can we service our solutions after the fact? And there I think made is quite unique in terms of what we offer offer to the market. So we are trying to become selected as a so-called tier 1 with many of these global miners, and we, so far, are moving to be successful. And least not last, the whole service side of the business. It's fine that you have the best technology, but if you can't service after the fact, you're out. So reliability is key. And the bigger these machines become, the more reliability is a key. And therefore, full service provider, be in face of the customer. That is what we're aiming at. Industry outlook, uh, just to make sure that we are on the same page, uh, when I talk about commercial focus and we talk about materials handling, that's the technology I just described. When we, talked about, when we talk about strategic industry focus, the three orange dots, iron ore, coal, and fertilizer, that is what the bulk materials division, if you will, is set out to champion. These are the industries we are looking for. We have developed industry strategies behind those three particular ones, and those are the ones we intend to to execute and what are we doing? I said before, we are moving tonnage. So in order to give you an idea of what we are talking about, I just took five of the uh, traditional uh, segments we are talking about. And if you add together just the to process tons a year, the bottom line will tell you that we process, this, these industries process 20 billion tons of rock every year. Out of that comes material to the tune of 11.5 billion tons. They're all different. But the important part is here, and I highlighted that, coal is 40% of everything mined. And when it's processed, 60% coming out of coal. So the, the activities in coal is bigger than all the other metals and industries together. That's why Elodovici was so important to Eiffel Schmidt. And then you can, you can look at the numbers. And at, at the right, I actually put the technology that applies to these different industry segments. But you can see the numbers are huge, except in gold, where it just takes a few armored cars to move away the annual production in gold. So not, there's no port facilities needed there. But for sure, in, in, uh, in coal, iron ore, fertilizer, many, many opportunities. So just a few words on each of them. Coal, you probably know more about it than I do. But again, that is the single largest opportunity when it comes to tonnage moved. Finnish products, 7 billion tons annually. And as you can see, it's, it's all about thermal coal providing power. And it's met coal that goes into the steel production. And I just put in China and India for comparison. You can see if they move to the same needs as we have in this part of the world, the tonnage required. is just going to escalate. The good news is if you look at the reserves that we have today out there, there's a trillion tons of coal left that we know of. That's the same as 120 years of consumption. And coal will never go away. This is going to be more and more important as we move forward and coal becomes cleaner and greener and so forth. And I've listed the the countries. Two-thirds of the... of the reserves US China and Russia and other markets coal as that we are trying to apply certain strategies to, to to basically improve our opportunities in coal going forward this is a very large opportunity but we don't play too much today so back to what i said before a great great uh, growth opportunities in pit crossing tailings management that becomes more and more important and bundling not selling standard products bundling and then offer EPC. We will acquire process know-how, increase footprint, and work with Bjarne's de- department, in particular on the ONM, the uh, super center, and then continue to acquire if we see a need. This one, just cl- quickly to show you what, what we are trying to do in terms of uh, coal. And you can see what Pete will talk about later, that Later, that's called the processing plant. That's the washery. There we are hopefully soon uh, complete. Then we come in with a stockyard conveying and loading that's a bulk all of a sudden, we can, we can supply the entire coal washery system. We add to that automation where we basically electrify everything, and we, uh, we throw a little process control around it. We talk to cement if we have to do an EPC, and then when it's all handed over, we will talk to Bjana so he can service this particular washery for the next 25 years. So there you have one source, and this is a strategy. This is what's what we've been doing in cement for so many years. This is what we're going to take to so copper, coal, iron ore, fertilizer, and gold. Talking about that, iron ore, also a huge amount of ton is being moved. Iron ore increasing in terms of uh, demand. Again, China, India, and elsewhere. And more than, I think it's more now than half of what's being produced out there, of the 1.7 billion tons, is seaborne. So a lot of port facility opportunities here as iron ore moves from Australia to China, from Brazil to China, and uh, elsewhere. And again, a few comments. The last one I didn't talk too much about is fertilizer. Here we see actually indeed many, many opportunities. Fertilizer are needed more so going forward, 10 billion people later on, but also less arable land, a different diet out there, and a lot more people starting to, to ask for, for food. So fertilizer is there to support it, it's supposed to grow 3 to 4% every year. And there you can see it's typically in the Middle East, Canada, U.S., and, and Brazil where we see the... Uh, market opportunities. Last but not least, strategic initiatives. Huno mentioned it uh, and Bjarne mentioned it. And as you know by now, our strategic drivers are customer intimacy, operational excellence, and product leadership. All very important. The most important one being customer intimacy. Us being in the face of the customer each and every day trying to understand how we can create value. And in bulk materials, what we are looking at, we have many, many strategic initiatives out there. But if I have to basically categorize them. Here are some of them, customer intimacy. We will acquire more footprint around the world. We need to have more boots on the ground in the key markets, not technology. salespeople and execution is the key. And we will continue to try to enable the one f- one source offering, and we'll do that as we work through the matrix in FL Smith, communicate, coordinate with our colleagues to go out with a solution, not any more single standard uh, standalone products. Operational excellence there, we have to be better in terms of execution. We are working internally with procedures and processes to deliver on time, on cost, on spec, again and again and again, to the satisfaction of our customers and our shareholders. Product leadership, as I said, we have most of them. We need to leverage our our IPR, our intellectual property rights, and we need to work with customers uh, in order to understand, again, how we can create value and work together with customers to come up with the latest and greatest when it comes to innovation. And now I just have to post the green one. And any questions? There's room for two.
2: There they are. Thank you. Uh, Kenneth Laling from Danske. Um, just a... On, on the actual materials handling, i.e. excluding the three other niche companies you mentioned, um, does, it, does that business have the opportunity to become even a high single margin business or a double-digit margin business, or is there something in terms of the amount of steel you use and so forth that means that you will never be able to, yeah, to go to those levels? If you could comment on, on the margin. Thanks.
8: No, I will never say never. I mean, uh, I'm not the one that has to deliver in years to come, so of course, uh, no, no. I mean, you're onto something. As you can see, there's a lot of steel and civil works involved, and there's a limit to how much you can price up other people's hard work. But if you have the right solution, and we can basically also mirror it up with other, uh, I mean, technologies within our group, all of a sudden we have an offering that you can price differently. In particular, because this is a very innovative. Business area, and if we can if we can convince our customers that we have something that nobody else can offer, you can also try to exercise pricing strategy. But I think in this business, uh, more importantly, I think we can do better in terms of leverage. We are not as advanced as they are in cement with utilizing our resources in India, and we can do a better job in terms of uh, sourcing, uh, cost competitive. So we have many opportunities in, in, in bulk materials handling to improve the bottom line. And yes, our target is uh, double-digit.
2: F- In the foreseeable future. For that part of the business. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
4: I uh, I have uh, Patrick Sederberg from Nordea Marcus. I have um, uh, two questions. The first one is regarding this uh, market potential of 90 billion. Is that including uh, sales to the trucks market or uh, I suppose conveyor belts could be substituting trucks? Yeah, I mean the, the
8: 90 billion, the, the best number that we came up with uh, is the one that you can see in our annual accounts. And that's based on the fact that uh, I think last year you saw 100 billion dollars, 600 billion kroner being capexed, if you will, in the mining industry including exploration, i.e. everything. 15 to 20 percent of that gives you the 90 and that's the amount of money we expect uh, our customers to spend on all kinds of materials and
4: equipment, including trucks, etc., etc. Okay. Uh, and then I have to pop the question. Uh, there was one of uh, the big mining companies, BHP, um, who, who came with a, a comment, which have been tilting uh, uh, the performance of the of the mining sector lately, uh, saying that the Chinese or the growth of the of the Chinese steel industry is going to be more modest going forward. Could you, uh, c- could you give your view what you're seeing in the market currently? I mean, I can only say that, again, uh, we're we having
8: a, a long-term view as we try to exercise our strategy and we, we go along our strategic roadmap. And, uh, again, I'll just reiterate that the, the uh, project pipeline, the, inqu- the, uh, the inquiries that we're entertaining are still at a very high level. And uh, I think I also said last time we met that it's uh, predominantly in this business it's coal, iron ore, and copper. That's the top three, and that still remains. So we have not said uh, we have not seen any slowdown in terms of any particular segment, if you will. Thank you.
0: Time's up. Now. One of the areas main minerals where we've had the fastest expansion is into non-ferrous, especially into copper. And this development has been headed by Pete Flanagan, who, um, come closer Pete, who has, um, <laughs> he has had the experience of being bought uh, by smith twice. First, uh, when he was with Fuller, our largest uh, competitor in cement that we acquired in 1990, he stayed for a couple of years, tried to get out, and he joined GLMV that we bought in 2007. And now he is recognized that he'll not be allowed to get away from us, so he stays here. And we're happy that Peter's uh, taken on as head of our new uh, non-ferrous division. So the floor is yours.
9: Thanks, Uno. And... Uh Good afternoon, everyone. It is a good lesson that wherever you go, uh, F.L. Schmidt will find you and acquire you. Um, Now that hopefully everyone's had a chance to cool down a little bit in our ice room, I have the pleasure of telling you about what we've been up to in the non-Ferris division that was newly formed just, uh, just a few months ago. Uh, I thought I'd go through an agenda where we just briefly talk about the division, uh, talk about our operational structure in non-Ferris, look at the market drivers and and outlook, the competitive landscape, uh, value proposition strategy, and then we'll have a a Q&A session at the end. So the non ferrous division, uh, I think as you've, if you, as you've heard in some of the other presentations, it, it uh, consists of all of F.L. Schmidt's minerals processing technologies. And that includes comminution, separation, dewatering, pyroprocessing. Uh, its headquarters and global technology center is in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I sit. Um, it has an order intake of uh, Danish Krona, 9.7 billion last year, which happens to make it the largest division. Um, oh, who's keeping track? A global customer's uh, base and in, in all of the five key uh, mineral segments that we're focusing on and following. So let's have a brief look at the numbers. As I said, um, last year we, we booked 9.7, um Billion Danish krona, um, largest division in Fosmet. Did I say that? Um, the expected trend uh, this year is that we're going to book about the same amount. Uh, as you can see, our revenue last year was about 6.8 billion DKK, and um, uh, that's going to increase this year. We're going to be pulling some of the some of the revenue from that big backlog that we booked last year, and we'll be booking this year. So we hope to be starting to catch up. Uh, our EBITDA. Is uh, 859 uh, million DKK. Our EBITA 815, and that gives us a EBITA ratio of uh, 12%, which you know we think is is pretty healthy for a, a capital equipment business without the the aftermarket portion of it. It is going to slightly decrease a little bit this year because of the mix. And of course, when I say mix. Customer service is a, a different division. So I'm talking about the mix between products and projects. Obviously, projects carry third, third party equipment that doesn't carry quite as high a margin as our proprietary technologies. Who are our customers? Well, just like you heard in, in bulk, there are multi mineral international mining companies, the majors, nationalized mining companies, junior miners, local miners, engineering houses, and also. Uh, other process industry players uh, outside the the minerals industry where we sell single machines from time to time. And if we look briefly um, at at what's happened last year in uh, the consolidation of the mining industry, this shows uh, what the miners looked like in 2001 and what they look like now in 2011. And as you can see, the big have gotten bigger Uh, the small have been absorbed by a lot of the bigger and we've also seen uh, a lot of the miners diversify and not surprisingly, uh, they've diversified uh, into similar key industries or commodities that we're also focusing on. What we're hearing from our our miners is that they want to have fewer suppliers that can supply more to them, or the value stream, um, more of their, their services and plant services And if you look at what F.L. Smith's done in the last 10 years, we've acquired a lot more technology used in mining to fill our flow sheets. We've acquired capabilities to do maintenance downstream. And now we're taking a a sort of final step in really focusing on these five key industries, which they have. So they've really set the agenda, and and we've followed with our structure. Speaking of of structure... um, um, in the non-ferrous group, we have all the minerals processing technologies. For those of you that don't know, uh, Christian told you that um, bulk material handling moves material around. Uh, they move the dirt around uh, and re-extract all the valuable resources within that dirt um, for the greater good. And to do that, uh, we've reorganized ourselves into uh three uh, major technology groups, and these technology groups are the three major ones that miners use and minerals processors use to extract the valuable resources out of their ore. The first one is the, the concentrator group, second one is the um, hydromet group, and the third one is our, our pyromet group. I'll tell you a little bit about each one. Uh, and then we have two product companies, uh, Krebs and Avon, within non so if we look at the concentrator technology group, concentrators are used typically to concentrate a sulfide ore, and they can be used in copper, gold, iron ore, platinum, lead, zinc, nickel, and, and moly. And, and listed below the flow sheet there, which shows a typical copper concentrator, are the six key products that make up a copper concentrator, the six key machines. We're only missing one, and that's screening technology. And we hope to be getting that, in June or July when we close the acquisition of Ludovici because they are one of the global leaders in screening technology used in concentrators and other processes. And then we have our, our, our six product groups here and we have uh, leaders of these product groups. They also sell their products into some other markets, we'll call them secondary oper- uh, uh, secondary applications. and And they may sell a single machine into FGD, they may sell a single machine into food, they may sell a single machine into a chemical process plant. And we continue to do that because, you know, when these machines, when they have to fight for a single machine head-on-head against the competition, we think that that will make sure that they're, they keep their technology world-class to be able to market it head-on-head. They may get a little bit lazy if they're just selling into internal projects. So we're going to maintain that, that, uh, that ability to sell single machines outside these flow sheets. Second major group, Hydromet group. Again, we have a number of products that make up that group uh, CCD, countercurrent decantation thickeners, Gravity Gold, which is the Nelson group that joined us uh, last year, Downstream Gold, which is the Summit Valley group that joined us two years ago, Solvent Extraction, Electro Warning. Those are the main products that make up this Hydromet technology group. And again, Hydromet's used to treat what we call oxide ores. And, and those are seen in gold and silver and copper, nickel, aluminum and coal. And then the third technology group is our pyromet technology group. We make rotary kilns, rotary dryers, preheaters, uh, rotary coolers and gas suspension calciners. And again, a number of secondary applications outside of the main flow sheets and minerals that these products are sold into. One thing that's interesting is. Um, If we take nickel, for example, uh, nickel is one metal that depending on the ore body, whether it's a sulfide or whether it's an oxide or whether it's called a lateritic oxide, uses all three of those flow sheets depending on the ore body. And we're the only people in the world that can provide that technology for all three uh, ore bodies. Then we have our our product companies, Krebs and Avon, that make uh, what are called sizers and pumps and cyclones. These operate as a somewhat autonomous division uh, because of the nature of the pumps and the cyclones used in all the, all the flow sheets. We're located, uh, the non-ferrous division is located uh, next to most of the minerals reserve. Why? Because our technology usually goes at the mine site, usually to concentrate the ore right when it comes out of the mine. So we're located where our customers are located, and our customers are located where all the ore bodies of copper and lead and zinc and gold and uh, iron ore are located. And these are our 18 of our offices around the world used to service customers, and that list is is growing. We have, uh, uh, as Kristen mentioned, we have two uh, industry segments that we look at kind of specially within. Uh, the non-ferrous group. Um, One is is copper. Why copper? Well, copper is the second largest industry for F.L. Schmidt besides cement. It's the largest metals industry. Uh, We have the full concentrator flow sheet from crushing to filtering, and soon, hopefully, this summer, with the acquisition of Ludowici, we'll have screening and round that out. And we also have a a very uh, significant market share. Uh, Really, if you look at all the technology in the concentrator, we're clearly one of the global leaders in that area. And then gold. Why is gold important to us? Well, one reason is um, if you look back over the years during times of uh, lean times in the global economy, uh, price of gold has oftentimes remained pretty high, uh, high enough to justify investment. So when we may not be building a lot of copper concentrators or we may not be building a lot of iron ore beneficiation plant because people aren't needing the steel, people may be building gold refineries because of the the high price of gold. So the rest of the world uses gold as a hedge. I guess it's a little bit of a hedge for us in one of our focus markets. Additionally, we have a full production line in gold, which is interesting. We actually go from um, the ore actually all the way through to uh, to gold bars. And... um, And In a few of the flow sheets, there's probably five or six different types of flow sheets they use to process ore. In a few of them, we uh, are the only ones that actually go through the whole value stream in gold processing. Market drivers and outlook. I don't want to spend a lot of time here because everyone's been talking about this. This is why the story is so exciting in minerals, whether it be material handling or minerals processing, even cement. Huge population growth, growing middle class, urbanization, industrialization. Forty uh, percent of the world lives in China and India. We understand they're moving to cities and they're building a lot of things, and that's, that's our story in non-Ferris um, Again, lots of big CapEx plans in the long term. Uh, suffice to say, we certainly believe the next four or five years is going to be significant invec- investment in a number of these different technology areas. To make metals to to support the industrialization and urbanization of of China and India. Competitive landscape we do uh, we do have some competitors, and uh, you can see see them here. Many of you know about them. This shows the area on the flow sheets and the uh, value chain where where we play in nonferrous. Um, you can see. Uh, We go from comminution to separation into refining. Uh, In some areas, in some metals, and some commodities, we just go a little way into refining. In other ones, as I mentioned before, in gold, uh, we actually go all the way in refining, all the way to pouring gold bars. Make everything but the the, uh, armored car to take the gold away. We're not in that part yet. Value proposition. I guess we sat down in non-Ferris and... Uh, We talked a little bit with the leadership about uh, what is our value prop, and we think uh, if we needed to summarize it, it's helping our customers unlock their minerals resources safely, efficiently, and sustainably. So what are our customers' challenges? Well, we heard about some of these, too. These are obviously their challenges or, or our opportunities, safety, increasing raw material and energy costs, uh, more difficult to find mine and, and process ore bodies, decreasing head grades, uh, water scarcity, and uh, tougher to get environmental permits, uh, the so-called uh, uh, right to mine. Uh, huge issues for our miners. So how can we help them? Well, we believe it all starts with a deep understanding of, of their ore. and. You know, I think going forward, uh, as these these ore bodies become much more rare, as they become located deep deep in the earth, uh, in difficult places, uh, learning how to separate out the metals from this ore is is something that is extremely important for us um, and all our technology. We've uh, invested in the last uh, three years pretty heavily in putting together a world-class testing center in Salt Lake City with uh, satellites around the world in key mining areas. And now we're actually putting together uh, what we call our ore characterization and process mineralogy lab, uh, OCPM for short. And, and that it's a significant investment. And basically, we're getting uh, things called QEM scanners, which are actually scanning electron microscopes so we can look deep at the ore bodies, deep at the matrices that these, these metals are locked up in, Try to get an understanding, then, about how we can use the best equipment, the best technology, the best flow sheets to separate out those metals. Uh, We're good at it today. Uh, We're going to be a lot better at it tomorrow. And this opens up on May 4th. So anybody that comes to Salt Lake City after the Vegas Mining Show uh, will be able to see our new OCPM. And then after we look at the ore in detail and understand exactly what it takes to separate it efficiently, we need to pick out the products that are needed to do the job. We have a lot of technology. We bought a lot of technology. We had a lot of technology. We've developed some technology over the last 10 years. We need to pick the one that's most appropriate to do the job. We do that and then we have to arrange it in flow sheets that are efficient, sustainable, uh, best in class. We have a bunch of process guys that, that take it over from there and put these things together. And then finally, we can supply complete plants with our life cycle support, which you heard about from Bjarni and our customer service group. I guess the way we look at it, though, is we look at it as a, a flexible approach. I think we add a lot of value putting together these flow sheets, supplying a, um, extended scope of to our projects. But we're happy to su- uh, supply single machines. Uh, or we can supply complete plants. It's really up to the customer to choose. And this shows one of these concentrators that we talked about with all the key machines here, what it looks like. Reaching our goals by extending the scope. And you know, in hindsight, two days after the 100-year anniversary of the Titanic, I'm not sure I should have used the iceberg slide, Um, But I assure you, it has nothing to do with the Titanic. Uh, The Minerals Group, of which that technology has moved into the non ferrous Group, was a collection of individual product companies over the last 10 years that we bought and acquired and put into our system. Now we're starting to attach these products into larger systems and a larger scope of supply. And what we're trying to do is, instead of just selling single machines into a customer's flow sheet, we're trying to actually add a lot more value by putting them together in systems and trying to access a big area under that iceberg that we think is there with extended scope of supply. It can be as simple as putting a, uh, uh, doing all the plant engineering, civil structural mechanical electrical piping around our individual machines, supplying the third-party equipment, or it can be actually taking those, as we call them, islands and arranging them into complete production systems for our customers. Now, We do this typically in close coordination and partnership actually with the consultants, the big engineering houses, the EPCMs, because they're looking at building a whole mine. They're looking at developing tailings ponds, They're looking at building roads and power lines and bringing fresh water up to the plant site. We don't do that. But what we can do, we feel, is add a lot of value by arranging our machines together and connecting them together. There's a lot of opportunity for growth for us by doing that. There's a lot of opportunity for our customers in the mining houses to do more projects with us supporting them on that end. Again, some of the advantages are, are faster production, uh, you know, minimum three to six months sa- savings in engineering time with this what we call the one-source concept. There's reduced risk, um, world-class proven technologies and our process know-how, greater operational efficiencies, proven reliability and service, and then all that leads to a lower total cost of ownership, which most of our customers are, are interested in today. And then our strategy, well, we heard about customer intimacy, we heard about um, operational excellence, and you heard about product leadership. When we apply those thoughts to what we need to do in non-Ferris, this is the, the list that we came up with a couple of Um, If you read through there, you can see we need to, we talked about, deepen our understanding of our customers' ore bodies, very important. Uh, Expand our local presence in several key mining areas. Um, We need to recruit, retain, and develop the best people in the business to serve our customers. And I'll tell you, that's one area that I believe F.O. Schmidt has a significant competitive advantage. There certainly is right now. Um, a global talent war going on within the global minerals business. And uh, F.L. Schmidt is a pretty exciting place to work. And we've been able to recruit and retain uh, more than our fair share of industry talent over the last few years. And uh, I believe that's going to accelerate going forward as we keep moving. Um, Operational excellence. Well, of course, we need to ensure the health, safety, and environment are top priorities in everything we do I don't think if you ask any miner what's their top priority, I think everyone would say safety. That's their top of the agenda. That's our top of our agenda also. Um, We certainly need to uh, expand our extended scope scope competencies, which we just talked about, value for us, value for engineering houses, and value for our customers. Uh, We need to expand our global global sourcing capabilities. And, of course, we have to deliver on all our commitments. Let's get it right the first time. Regarding product leadership, we need to nurture our culture of innovation and uh, continuous product improvement. You know, we have a, quite an entrepreneurial cut culture, actually, in non because we've integrated in a lot of small technology product companies and brought their people in that bring a lot of that innovative spirit into our, our larger organization. We don't want to lose any of that. We want to we grow that and, and uh, expand on that. Uh, we need to develop in partnership with our customers the next genera- generation of minerals processing technologies. Clearly, you know, we want to be at least number one or two in every key p- position in our flow sheets, and we're close today, and uh, we need to make sure that we maintain that position going forward. Um, and then finally, we have a few uh, flow sheet gaps to, to fill, so we'll look at doing those organically and acquisitively going forward. With that, questions?
6: Thank you, uh, Daniel Patterson and Skilda. I have a couple of questions. Uh, first on pricing, uh, I think a lot of your clients, especially I guess in gold and copper, sorry about that, uh, are making quite a lot of money. Are you actively trying to raise prices when you're tendering? Um
9: We always try to extract full value for our technology and our services. So we always try to do that. Um, As you know, in a a competitive marketplace, it's not necessarily the amount of money they're making for their services. Sometimes it's the pricing of our competitors that also sets the price level. But we always try to extract full value um, for our services, yeah.
6: Is there more that you can do there? Is there further sort of room? Do you think in the next couple of years?
9: I, you know, it depends.
6: Thinking margin wise and so on.
9: Uh, On margin wise, you know, it depends on 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 where the market goes and where the supply demand curve goes. We're gonna we've we've guided that we're gonna book about the same this year as we booked last year, and uh, so we expect the margins to remain relatively intact, but we don't foresee great increases.
6: Uh, Okay. Uh, One follow-up question then on competition. I think we're hearing increasingly – increasing talks about more and more Chinese companies coming in also on the minerals processing equipment side. Can you comment on how you're seeing that at the moment? Are are they being more active? Yeah, we do.
9: We do see more Chinese. Uh, Thank you for that question. I think – we see Chinese companies coming in more on the uh, individual product areas as opposed to the, the complete plants. And um, you know, we certainly think as we put together these complete flow sheets and these complete plants, um, we're certainly staying a step ahead of not only Chinese, but you know, really anybody in the business. We also, I guess one other thing I'll comment on is um, certainly our, our colleagues in cement, and you're gonna hear from Pear in a few minutes, um, have been uh, had some you know significant Chinese competition for a number of years. They've been very successful in carving out their area and uh, supplying plants and maintaining a lot of their market share. So we sort of have a, a good guide to guide us through this period as we go forward. As we expect the Chinese to increasingly come into this business.
6: Okay, uh, one final question. Uh, this relates to the risk around. Um, sort of the whole one-source strategy, uh, what about the risk that Bechtel or the consultants, they uh, won't send too much business your way because they fear being intermediated sort of over, you know, in a few years by you? What Have you sort of analyzed that risk?
9: We have, and thank you for that question. That's an excellent question. Um we are, um, as we develop, as you heard me say a little bit closer, this flexible approach, we're happy to sell a single machine. Um, we're happy to put a bundled machines together, and we're, we're happy to do some of, the, some of the engineering that companies like Bechtel and Floor and SNC Level Laval and the big consultants do. What, what we're doing is developing and really in partnership with actually uh, uh, Bechtel, looking at uh, offloading them by doing islands around our machinery. And by connecting some together. You know, Bechtel has a big resource constraint. They like to take a lot of big projects, as many as they, you know, can execute successfully, to use them as an example. And uh, we've worked in again partnership with Bechtel to offload some of the you know engineering around our individual machines that they're really not that interested in doing. So we try to talk to the major EPCMs, like I say the Bechtels, the floors, the SNC Lavalins, the hatches and in partnership uh, go after these projects. And when we extend our our scope, it's usually in consultation with them to where we can help them, not compete with them. That's not our idea. And Bechtel, again, when you look at a whole mine site, they're going to be building things like roads and power lines and areas that, that we're not involved in and never will be.
7: Klaus Kiel from uh, New Credit Markets. You talked about the mining CapEx uh, five minutes ago, and uh, you said that, yeah, the mining companies have announced some quite significant uh, CapEx plans here for 2012. And you also mentioned that you expected to see growth going forward in, in this area. But could you try to be more specific about that? Is that just based on the fact that you expect growth in India or China to continue, or is it based on projects that you know from the various miners um so you can add them up and see that for instance over the yeah the coming years growth uh, should continue um yeah elaborate a bit on on, uh, on that
9: i mean y- yes to both we have a um, a bunch of projects from individual miners on their on their plans for the future um and i guess you know um People that are are certainly smarter than I am are are saying that they think that China and India is going to keep growing um, over the next three, four, five years in the long term. So we do believe in the story that there's going to be demand coming from from certainly emerging markets for commodities. Uh, We believe that. And uh, we believe our our good mining customers, where, where they believe that story and they have a, a, a healthy, robust project list and, and are trying to figure out how they can meet that demand going forward. So, you know, that's really um, the way that we look at things in, in more the mid- and, and long-term.
7: So you're not afraid that we will see that in 2013 they will perhaps cut down their capex following a very uh, busy year?
9: Well, again, I that, you know... I I don't know what they're going to do or not. We haven't seen any signs of that so far. We still entertain a big proposal backlog. We're still active proposing on projects that are coming up in 2013. So, you know, from our side, we haven't seen any of that so far. Thank you very much. One over.
2: Yeah, uh, thanks, Kenneth Leiling. Um you, you can see the miners are going to spend uh, quite a bit more here in 2012, according to their budgets. But at the same time, you're talking about a um, flattish order intake level or development versus 2011 for, for your business. Just the, the background for that, um, lucky last year, something unique that we need to know about.
9: Thanks. No, you know, I think it, when we talk about CapEx, for example, you know, with this – What you see here, these are the thickeners at the end of a copper concentrator. And a copper concentrator, the total capex investment for that might be anywhere from one billion to three billion US dollars. And our portion of that may be twenty percent, eighteen percent of the total capex spend, including construction for that concentrator. And we also tend to fall on the trailing edge of the capex spend for our miners. So they need to go out and find a property and start developing that property, start putting in roads, start putting in in uh, power lines and everything else. So when they say they're doing a big capex for 2012, it may not actually be till 2013 that we see the orders and the backlog increasing because of that.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Pete.
9: Thank you.
0: I think it's about time to move on. And um, everything uh, starts with cement. Definitely, Ethel Smith did. And so does any economic growth in any developing country. And Ethel Smith is the only major player in minerals that is also a leading player in cement, giving us some unique advantages of synergies, of flexibility of reduced market risks. So we uh, plan to hold on to our leading market position in cement, and the responsibility for that is our cement kit, Pierre Miner Christensen, who has also been with us always. And he knows um, every part of the industry, every customer, every competitor. He's been in all geographical regions, including five years in China. So the floor is yours, Pierre.
10: Thank you very much Jan. hope you can all hear me and good afternoon and uh, yes, I'm being named the Cement Kit and I'm still dreaming about how it would be one day to be upgraded to become Gold Kit, but we will see if that uh, ever happens. On a more serious note, I'm actually really excited and proud to be the Cement Kit and not only to be that, but also to be in charge of our new reformed cement division and our new cement strategy. You have, uh, for the last few hours, heard some very exciting stories from my colleagues in customer services, in non ferrous in bulk materials. They all have good and exciting stories. I'm also very excited about that and to follow it, but I will also uh, say I'm equally excited about the opportunities we have in cement. It is our old traditional business. We've been here for 130 years. I still think we have a lot of very good opportunities ahead of us, and I look forward to take you through that uh, the next uh, 20-25 minutes. This is the agenda we have uh, put together. Just a brief explanation about what is it about this new cement division. Something about our key figures, our products and solutions, and the customers and competition of course also. Then we'll look a little bit about the, what the future holds in terms of the market, and also our strategy to address that. If we take a look at the cement division and we do it in, in brief, we believe that we are the leading supplier of complete cement plants, um, production lines and single machinery know-how to the global cement industry. We have been the leader for many years, and even though the competition is definitely out there, we are still the leading supplier. We have in the newly formed cement division a little bit less than 3,000 employees. We have three project divisions based in Denmark, USA and and India. And then we have a global technology center, which is based in Copenhagen, right here in Valby, where you sit now. If we try to just take a brief look at the the organization, I realize it might be difficult to to see, but um, basically we have the three Main project divisions, which I mentioned, was in Denmark, in India, and in, uh, located in Bethlehem, United States. Then we have China as a separate and very important focus area. The market in China is very different from most other parts of the world, but we have it as a strong focus area. We have in the cement division a couple of very strong product companies: Ventomatic selling packing equipment and Fister selling cold dosing systems. Each of them have a very strong position. We look forward to expand that. The Global Technology Center is there, which I alluded to before. And then we've put on the chart here also customer services in cement. Bjarne, he told the story about that. And it is very important that we still see the best cement business as one. And uh, we have uh, many of our very good colleagues in customer services here in, in Valby, but also in other shared sites. So we will be cooperating very closely with the customer services because they depend on us and we also depend on them. If you, we ta- take a look at how the numbers uh, come up compared to what you might have seen before, uh, and we have uh, issued some, some numbers before, and you will see the numbers here, how they stack up in, in the newly formed cement division. What you will see is uh, that AirTech Automation and Mark Gear, three product companies, have been moved to the bulk division, as uh, Christian he talked about just before. We have the separate customer services division, which we think is a very strong focus area, so that is also not part of the cement division and uh, this is why you will see that uh, the, order, the order intake revenue and employees are like shown in this slide here compared to if you look at the what we call here the old cement division. So it's just for you to make it easier to compare what is actually in the new cement division both in terms of organization and in terms of the key numbers as you see them here. Here you will have the numbers for the last three years, which has also been been published and uh, here highlighted for 2011, where the cement division in this new form had an order intake of around 4.4 billion, very equal to its uh, revenue recognized, also around 4.4 billion, and uh, you will see the uh, the EBITDA um, numbers, and you can see our EBITDA ratio as well. Also, what we have included here is uh, a guidance of how we we see it going forward. Um, If you have followed the cement uh, business for the last few or many years, as I know many of you have, you know this very cyclical business. And this is also what is reflected in the numbers here, where you can see uh, after the global financial crisis in 2008, order intake uh, dropped uh, significantly. It dropped for our point of view to the level you see here, you will also see the revenue, uh, which is actually what is coming from the the boom years, it takes a couple of years, sometimes longer, to recognize the full revenue of the orders received, this is why you get the the picture here. We are are quite confident, and I'll talk a little bit to the market later, that uh, we are now uh, starting to increase again, and we have guided slightly increasing in both order intake and revenue, We have also made a guidance on uh, the EBITDA ratio, which uh, we say will be decreasing because we are coming from the very strong backlog of the boom years, uh, having realized a ratio of 11.3. If we take a look at the products and the solutions we are supplying to the industry, we have been here for almost 130 years in cement. The company is actually 130 years old. And uh, we have, during that period, sold more than 2,000 cement kilns in total. If we take a little bit more recent look at it, and just look at the last 10 years, we have sold more than 150 production lines, some of them being complete cement plants, some of them being parts of a cement plant main parts, because this does not include all the single machinery we have also supplied. So I think the track record is strong, if you both look at it in the very long uh, historical perspective, and also just look at the last ten years and uh, I think this is also something you can uh, have in your mind when you uh, think about what Bjana he talked about, the great perspectives we have in customer services, these hundred and fifty production lines we've sold just within the last ten years, they will need to be serviced with spare parts services, some of them will uh, will be also run in with the o and m contracts, many of them are only now just starting to really buy new spare parts and services for their plants. So we have a strong s- track record here and I think it is a very strong support to our customer services business. We are supplying all sorts of projects ranging from minor upgrade projects like Bjarne, he mentioned and also complete EPC projects. We are, and I'll talk a little bit more to it later, the only supplier who has a complete range of products and services within our portfolio. We have all main machines on a cement plant, we have many auxiliary products. And we do have the complete range of service capabilities from sale of parts to complete operation and maintenance contracts. Here is um, how you can depict a cement plant, which is actually a very large industrial complex. And it consists of a huge number of machines. Uh, I will try not to go in too much detail with all of it, but I think it's an interesting story that we do have the complete range of uh, proprietary equipment for a cement plant, because this is one of the great strengths of F.L. Schmidt. We've had it for many years, we've developed it further, we've made acquisitions, and this has brought us to the level where we are now. What you do in cement production is that you basically uh, take a rock coming from the quarry and then you crush it, and this is the machine you see to the very left. Then we take it to the material storage. We will use some of the conveyors Christian he has. We will use uh, some of the storage equipment, which he also has. We will then take it into the mill to grind the material. We have our own best-in-class vertical mills. The mills need to be driven. They need to be driven by large gears. That's what you see next to the vertical mill, supplied by Mark Gear of Switzerland. We have cold dosing equipment, which is what you see here, supplied by of Germany, which I alluded to before, is in our division. And then we have the whole kill system, best-in-class pyro equipment. We have the filters to ensure that we don't emit more dust in in the air than necessary and we can take that down to very, very low emission levels supplied by our AirTech division. We have the full range of automation equipment from automation to control the plant in the most efficient manner. And last, we will also ensure that if the market is for backed cement, our product company Ventomatic will supply the packing machines for that. So you basically see we have the complete flow sheet. And that really, I think, puts us in a unique position. Environmental issues, sustainability is very high on the agenda these years. Certainly very high also in the cement industry. Few important important, uh, aspects of that alternative energy solutions you can also fire a lot of other things in a cement kiln than coal actually a cement kiln does use a lot of energy we recognize that and this is why we're working very hard to use alternative fuels that being waste fuels or other types of fuels it's a great focus area of us it has been for, for years it will be increasing and we are confident that this will uh, create values for our customers and it will also give us a competitive edge Emissions is a very important issue as well, and uh, here we are developing very strong solutions. We are leading right now, but we are developing it even further as emission standards are becoming stricter and stricter. And we are working very close with our customers now, sending out uh, our small task force to measure everything basically that's worth measuring in their cement plants, working with them, looking into what are the regulations required making sure we have the technologies and solutions to um, to support that. And uh, here we is really one of our very strong points. Taking a look at our customers, you can categorize customers in three overall categories, at least that's the way we look at it right here. We have a number of global cement producers. They are mentioned here, uh, what we call the big five, others are, are coming up. They became big by doing a lot of acquisitions, after the especially the Asian crisis uh, 15 years ago. They have also built uh, new cement plants, but to a large extent, they really got to the size where they are now through acquisitions. These are Some of these are our good customers. We have supplied the world's largest plant in USA to Holcim, but the majority of our business is actually coming from the other categories, which are the regional cement producers. Some of them are mentioned on the slide. And also we have the local cement producers Still in a very uh, competitive industry, coming up in many countries where cement plant, cement uh, industry is just really taking off. There are quite some differences in customer preference preferences and customer behavior among these different types of customers. In terms of the decision process, some will do it centrally, naturally that's often the very big ones. Others will do have a decentral decision process. This whole issue about focusing on best-in-class technology versus just having something which is, you can say, basically good enough. Focus on environmental issues. That will come to everybody. That's why we are so focused on that. And then we have talked about total cost of ownership before, and we will continue to do that. Some do mainly focus on initial investment, but a lot of customers also understand that what it's really about is the focus on the total cost of ownership. And then we have customers focusing on partnership versus just going out, buying a cement plant here, getting on, maybe buying another one there, but really getting into close partnerships. I think this is where f has, has had a great strength. We have a number of customers we've had for more than 100 years. And uh, I certainly expect that we will have them for another 100 years. And I think this is really something that is also playing to our customer intimacy, or you can call customer focus strategy. So we will definitely work on even strengthening our partnering with our good customers. Now there's uh, been a lot of bullets on our slides before, so I thought you should see some nice photos, at least that's what I think. And that is talking to what I said before, our customers, some of them are very long-standing customers, and also a little bit about how customers can change, because what you see on the left picture is from Thailand, Sam City Cement, who were the first in the world to buy 10,000 ton per day lines, the first of these two lines more than uh, approximately 20 years ago, I was fortunate enough myself to be out there, helped to construct the second of these lines, very good customer of F.L. Schmidt. we supplied five of their six production lines. They were taken over by Holsim in uh, in 1999, after the Asian crisis. So here we have an example of a very good local customer, now becoming part of a global company, but still one of our very good customers. Other example you see here is AUCC Libya, where we have worked close with a customer. In fact, so close that we have supplied two lines. We have o contracts. The situation in Libya, I think everybody knows the story. We are getting up into gear again, and uh, a lot of new opportunities are in this country. In China, um, I could talk a long time about China, because I've been there for, for five years, being part of... Uh, selling some of the equipment you see here. China is a very special market, but we actually have built up a strong position in specialized equipment. We have sold almost 200 of these vertical mills in China over the last 10 years. We have sold some of the largest production lines over there. You see a photo here, two 10,000 ton per day lines, and now also one 12,000 ton per day line. Another market where we've had huge success for, for many years is Vietnam. We are working very close with the customers there, and in 2010, we actually inaugurated two large plants in uh, in Vietnam. The one you see to the right, which was also the front picture in my presentation, is uh, of Huang Tak cement. And there you will see that we have supplied three production lines, one in the 70s, one in the 90s, and then also one uh, we commissioned just a couple of years ago. So I think, again, a great story of how we can build upon the partnerships we have, even in the very competitive market we see nowadays. Just to give you a little picture of uh, what we have going on right now. here's uh, Here I'm showing the major ongoing projects which have been sold uh, the last uh, two, three years. And uh, we are actually very active. So even after the, the crisis in 2008 nine, we have uh, sold uh, a pretty large number of production lines. We are executing now, putting into operation some of them. Um, of course, we've also sold a lot of other minor equipment which I'm not showing here, but uh, I think it is um, showing that we have, despite the market being down compared to previous times, been able to get uh, a number of very important and large projects. But it is of course true that in any business there is competition. It also goes for FL Smith. We are coming from a business which has traditionally been dominated by a select number of European companies, more more than 100 years old, many of them, so we've sort of been the same bunch competing for the same orders but only seven eight years ago the market changed i think many of you will know the chinese um, suppliers of equipment they came out to the world market having uh, exercised how to do it on their own market for some years they ventured out into the international market and um, of these i think many will know that the largest is sinoma which is actually a company formed by the largest what they call design institutes which they pooled into this company and then started bidding for their projects out on in the international market. And if we look at how the competitive landscape has been in the last five, six years, you will see the chart here, that is the way we normally depict the, the market shares among the major players. It is, just to make it clear, measured in terms of the sold kiln capacity, and it is the kiln capacity outside China. China is a, is a separate case. But I think it gives a very good picture of how the traditional European players have fared in this period and also how Sinoma has fared out on the international market. There's also a number of specialized equipment suppliers. Um, I'm mentioning uh, six of them here. They do only supply single equipment. Um, they are our competitors. But needless to say, when we have the complete selection of equipment for a cement plant, we have a very strong position compared to these uh, single machine suppliers. If we look a little, about little bit on the market and the, the drivers and the outlook. Well, it has been said many times before, uh, economic growth is a very important part of the story. Also in cement, um, GDP per capita, and I'll elude a little bit to that on the next slide. Population growth, and then the other things we've heard about, inf- investments in infrastructure energy prices, and then the environmental agenda. Cement is a product which is, uh, is a very homogeneous product, but it's also very expensive to transport, and that is why cement has traditionally been a very local, or at least regional, business. It's very expensive to ship around the world. Traditionally, we have seen that it's maximum five, some years ten, but I would say that's on the high side, five percent of global cement being shipped around the world. Depending on if there are markets with a huge need. Before the crisis, uh, five, six years ago, we saw the American market having a huge cement deficit. So we saw, combined with low freight rates, a lot of cement being shipped from Far East to United States. But it's not much in the overall picture. I have also here indicated uh, how you can estimate the total industry, CapEx, again, excluding China, which is here estimated to around uh, 60 billion Danish. This is the growth we've seen in cement consumption um, for the last 25 years. And uh, of course, the story in this chart is to a large extent the way China has grown. But if we focus on the market outside China, which is our the, is the largest part of our business, you will see that there's actually also been growth. And this is the story we see that population growth, economic growth leads to also uh, cement growth and I'm very confident, I must say, that this will also continue in the future. And this is why I am very confident also about our market prospects. This um, chart has been shown before, and it shows the relationship between GDP per capita in a given country compared to the cement consumption. And the interesting story here, of course, is that many of our main markets still have to go up this curve and increase their cement consumption dramatically. Because they are in the lower left corner. Um... Many of the, the BRIC con- countries, China being the obvious ex- exceptions, they are, are higher. But a lot of the markets which we serve and where we have a strong position, still remain in the area of the charts where the growth potential is very significant. One thing is cement consumption, another thing is investments in new equipment. And here I'll showing the charts, which shows how that has been developed, uh, has developed the last 20 years. So it is a landscape going up and down. And you will see the huge boom and the effect of what happened uh, after 2008, 2009, 10, 11 had been uh, in the range showed here, 46 million tons of capacity um, last year, 50 uh, or 65 in 2010, and we will expect same level 50 to 60 in 2012. If we look at strategy and um, our goals in this respect. We do expect that we can continue to have a strong EBIT margin, both for projects and products. We can expect to have a continued strong market share in a market which we know is highly competitive. We want to have our EPC or turnkey capabilities in place, as mentioned before, and that will be an important part of our strategy going forward. And we will do everything we can to expand our position as the supplier of the best possible technology. So, again, our customers preferred full-service provider. This is what we believe we are in most cases, and we want to even expand on that going forward. We have talked to many of these things. Uh, Customer focus, high quality is is a must. We are there, and we will ensure to protect that. Strong technological platform, most efficient equipment, and then some of the... Strategic initiatives, which uh, has been talked about before, which has really taken us to a competitive level, also compared to the new competition, which has taken us into a relatively small margin when you also look at even initial investments. It is our global strategic sourcing program. It is our engineering um, back office function in in India. And then combining this with our abilities to even run the cement plants, I believe, has given us a huge leverage and, uh, and will going forward. We have decided uh, to express that internally in a strategy map. I'm just showing it to you here. It's basically explaining in a different way what I have have said before. But I think it explains uh, in in a good way both to our employees, stakeholders and others. What we really want to focus on in the cement division in order to move ahead and reach our ambitious strategic goals. Value proposition. Well, basically when we build it, it works. It's a very important part of our value proposition, and uh, we have a lot of other things going for us, which is equally important. If we look at our competitive advantages, we do have a very strong brand representing quality and reliability. We have a global reach, which is really unique when you compare it to the competition. And if we combine this with our new um, strategy in minerals and the global reach they have in minerals in the two uh, other divisions, non-ferrous and bulk, I would say Eiffel is a global company which is really everywhere. It's a huge strength in uh, relation to the competition. Our ability to execute large projects successfully is really, I think, outstanding. We have a very good track record and this is really what we need to continue to focus on strongly. And that will also be in EPC projects when we see that we can mitigate the risks uh, successfully. And I have also mentioned the focus on environmentally friendly solutions that being alternative fuels, waste heat recovery systems, we actually have the most efficient technology now, um, best class emission control systems. Just a brief summary of the competitive advantages I see we have and that combined with the market potential believe that I think the cement division has a lot going for it in the future and I'm uh, quite confident that we will uh, reach uh, our ambitious strategic goals. And with that being said, I will be ready also to take some questions.
11: Hi, Michael Adler, Almeyban Asset Management. I have one question regarding India. Um, it's been awfully quiet in, in my, in my view. Uh, what, what do you expect uh, will happen this year? It's been some uh, work from the government side in trying to cut the red tape and get the infrastructure projects running. And um, what are your expectations?
10: You are absolutely uh, right. And uh, we are of course following that very closely because India has traditionally been one of our very strong markets. We have seen uh, high interest rates, uh, low government spending has uh, led India into a period with a lower investment level. But what we see now is also many of our customers now getting up into gear again. You mentioned the government initiatives. A lot of our customers are reacting to this. And the long term potential in India is intact. It's enormous. So it's a matter of, of, about time, and I think that's also what you are you are alluding to. And if you ask me, I will say second half of uh, of this year, uh, if we can use all the inquiries and activities from our customers to anything, this is really where they will start to get up into gear and uh, start
3: investments again in India. The last one from uh, Carnegie. It seems as you are in increasing your focus again on. Uh on turnkey projects, I wonder how we should model that because wouldn't it imply that the revenue per should say, per tonne of new kiln demand would increase but on the other hand margins would come down?
10: I think you are, you are right to the extent that if we go into this um, we cannot earn the same amount on the civil part of a project as we can on the, our proprietary technologies, this is really where we have our strengths. On the other hand it will give us opportunities to grow so you can say, yes, probably on such projects, margins will be lower. But if this is what the market asks for, and I believe we are strong uh, and can be strong in that type of projects, then we believe also that if you look at the very bottom line, this will help us to, uh, to increase that.
3: But, but how, how does it fit in with your guidance for a slightly increasing order intake for this year? New kiln demand clearly up 15, 20, 25 percent according to your own forecast. And if a bigger proportion is turnkey, presumably order intake should grow more. I wonder a little bit what's the definition of uh, slightly increasing or where is my math wrong?
10: I don't think your your math is wrong. I think um, we still need to see how much our customers will turn into EPC or turnkey projects. And it will still be a relatively small proportion. So I think uh, the numbers here, uh, as you see, will be befitting that. Probably there will be more EPC projects, and it will uh, lead to uh, a slightly increase in, uh, in order take and, uh, and, and revenue, and uh, I think this is our, our estimate for, for now.
11: Uh, Jakob Pedersen, Sydbank. Um, could you expand a bit on your uh, possibilities going into China? It seems like a huge untapped potential. You said yourself that uh, this is a very important area for you, uh, but um, when do we see the orders coming and and what type of orders do you expect to get in the Chinese market?
10: We have, as I said, seen had a quite strong uh, niche market for some of our selected parts of our business in in China. What we see in China now is a strong uh, focus on environmental issues. As I said, this is where we have a global strategy, but certainly also a strategy to strengthen our position in China. So I think um, this is where you will see it uh, everything related to environmental uh, issues, that being uh, emissions, alternative uh, fuels, all of these initiatives which we are working uh, very hard on. Then there are some uh, some well-known barriers in terms of the complete projects and uh, and we are following that very closely because our ambitions in uh, in China are intact. But I think where you will first see some movement is in all these uh, environmental aspects where we clearly have a a strength with our strong technological focus.
0: Maybe just uh, (coughs) service information, because both uh, Pierre and... um And Christian mentioned uh, an increase uh, uh, into EPC products. Um, We will be going in that direction because that's where the customers want us to go. But uh, important to say that um, in relation to risk, we will not be taking civil works in-house. We will take it as part of our scope where it's relevant, but we will be subcontracting with large, qualified subcontractors who take all the executional risk on the civil works and who have a balance sheet that can deliver that responsibility. Just a service information. And then, thank you to Pierre. Everything starts at the top. We have a chairman in Eiffel Smith who is not just personally extremely international. He's also internationalized our board, and as a consequence, they are putting increasing pressure on daily management to deliver development and results. And we are very pleased that uh, Von Sertzen could be with us today to give you an insight into our board
1: agenda. Flo yours now. Thanks a lot. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure for me to be here and uh, be able to uh, address you today with some of my observations around uh, Eiffel Smith. Uh, it'll fall in basically three parts. Uh, first, a little bit about sort of my view of uh, Eiffel Smith and how, it, how we're positioned as we speak. Uh, a little bit about the composition uh, of the board and management. And finally, uh, into uh, board priorities. Um, <coughs> I am, uh, of all the speakers you've heard today, I'm uh, the first one who can say I haven't been here always. Um, as a matter of fact, compared to these guys, I just came. Um, but, uh, and that's also why I take the, the liberty to talk about my first impressions. Um, and it's really great being here today because uh, this more or less completes my first year as chairman of, of Eiffel Smith, which has been a fascinating year where we have uh, together board and management through multiple iterations developed uh, a new strategy and uh, on the back of that also adapted our organization to deliver that strategy. Um, but where it all comes from, uh, no matter sort of how, uh, how focused or how different your new strategy is uh, and, and the resulting organization, it all comes out of uh, where Eiffel Schmidt started. And Eiffel Schmidt started, as been said, Many times already, more than 100 years ago, uh, and has a uh, proud heritage and, and engineering uh, tradition. Um, for the ones of you who followed EFOSMIT over the years, you know there's been a lot of, of um, sort of uh, detours uh, around uh, both um, uh, different industries and, and different focuses, but I think we can say that the company has now been uh, for the last sort of over the last say eight or nine years maneuvered safely into a harbor with with two docks uh, one being cement and the other one being uh, being minerals uh, and um, I think they're a great fit because both and minerals obviously you can then divide up to multiple segments uh, as, as and multiple industries as had also been been explained but I think what what ties it together is that uh, they all offer good Growth prospects, they all build on mega trends uh, that are are positive. And uh, what uh, makes Eiffel Smith so special is also that we uh, have the majority of our turnover, up to 70%, coming out of emerging markets. So, uh, in in sort of uh, years where you speak about uh, sort of very flattish uh, development or uh, e- even even recession in in Europe or or the US, uh, I think we can say that we we can sort of maneuver safely even in that uh, in these waters because we are so focused on uh, the markets where growth still is uh, is imminent. Uh, I think there's a lot of credit that has to go out to uh, both uh, employees, uh, to management, but also the board for a lot of foresight and staying power through. Uh, very, very difficult periods, and, and probably one. If I just highlight one thing, I think the, um, as also I think Juno said in the beginning, the acquisition of GLV uh, actually sort of built on uh, still what Eiffel Smith is best at, uh, but it it, uh, it gave uh, Eiffel Smith one more leg to stand on, uh, and I think that's what we see sort of where today that we can reap the fruits out of. Uh, through through our our uh, renewed and, and, and strengthened focus on different mineral segments and industries um, since I started out saying that we come out of of this proud heritage and engineering tradition you will also uh, realize and and uh, with me recognise that uh, we're in no need of of a revolution uh, but uh, more an evolution uh, of doing uh, or continuing to do what we're best at uh, but then obviously also uh, taking all the growth uh, opportunities as, as they arise and come our way. Uh, if I look at the strengths and opportunities uh, of, of uh, EFL Smith today, we obviously have a very uh, solid position in, in selected segment segments with different business dynamics, but uh, to some uh, degree synergistic. Um, and uh, that's also how the idea with GLNV originally. Grew about uh, that was to utilize uh, the, the these these synergies and reap some economies of scale, uh, and 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 um, uh, through through that uh, develop into probably markets that that offered more growth potential than uh, cement would uh, in the long run. Uh, there's been a lot about uh, mega trends today: uh, urbanization, industrialization in emerging markets has been mentioned, and I think that. Uh, these are extremely uh, important megatrends that that uh, gives Apple's um, made a very good fun, uh, platform to to stand on also for the future. We have a very well defined uh, business concept in in one source and, and and Pete went into that at at length uh, where we can basically deliver everything from selected machi- uh, or single machines over uh, islands or bundle islands and and then up to up to one source um, and. Um, I think our acquisitions play a very vital role there because that is what can move us even further uh, on, this, uh, on this curve where we can deliver more and more of the flow sheet, not only in uh, cement but also in the selected uh, mineral segments uh, more and more. Uh, it all builds on a quality trademark and a first-class reputation. We see that again and again and we see that when we're up against the Chinese, for instance, that, that uh, we have a, a, a very, very solid position. Uh, and uh, we will not um, uh, necessarily have the cheapest offer, what, but we'll be able to provide the best offer and an offer that our customers know is uh, characterized by, by, uh, by, by high quality and high standards. Uh, the technological know-how and uh, superiority is uh, a backbone for EFL We'll keep on investing in uh, staying in that position and keeping that and our focus on R&D is uh, obviously extremely important to prevail, uh, to, for that position to prevail. We have a very de- developed and targeted offshoring model, uh, and, and also, uh, as you know and has been said, an uh, acid-light model where we outsource a lot, and that is what helps us through uh, obviously cycles with, with downturns, as you have seen in, in uh, 2009 and 10. Uh, where our uh, uh, model is extremely flexible, uh, even though uh, because of the cycle uh, our top line will fluctuate, uh, we can still, uh, through this flexible model, keep margins through the cycle. Um, <clears throat> what we should definitely leverage and what we are in the process of leveraging is our, uh, the financial strength uh, that we have gained over the years. Uh, which gives us a freedom to determine the right mix of uh, where we're going to put our investment means uh, and uh, do selected m a that uh, strengthens our flow sheet coverage or gives us uh, an increased um, footprint uh, but obviously also serve our shareholders through dividends and I think we have a, a very privileged position that we, can, uh, we, we, have a, we we can determine this this mix. Uh, uh, with, with, with great um, freedom here. Uh, we have an already sustainable position, uh, as Bjana explained, in customer service and o m but we also know that there is further potential, and we know that that's an area that can potential, potentially also increase our margins uh, in, in the medium and, and longer term. Uh, so we see that as a clear upside and uh, as we progress with O&M and get more and more reference customers, that will definitely increase our opportunities of doing even more business in that field. Uh, as I said before, our handling of the financial crisis proved our very adaptable and very flexible model, but it also proved that we have the right sense of urgency within management, with, within, uh, within the company, uh, that we adapt in time so that uh, uh, downturns doesn't uh, necessarily hit our margins. It all builds, and that's probably our main strength, it builds on human resources, it builds on, and especially because it is an asset-light model, it builds on uh, brilliant employees, very skilled employees coming out of this strong uh, uh, industrial and engineering uh, tradition and a strong management team, which I'll revert to. What, what are my expectations to Eiffel uh, Schmidt? Uh, where I finish the last slide i 'll start the next one, and that is definitely to attract and retain uh, uh, the, the the greatest talents in the industry. This industry is characterized by a war for talent, especially maybe the mineral side because it 's so hot uh, and 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 growing and uh, because of that it's a prime um, point on the board's agenda uh, how do we um, uh, develop our talents uh, and and uh, how do we uh, retain them and ha- and how do we secure that they uh, they, they deliver for uh, Effelsmith in, in the years to come um, and uh, retention programs and, and what goes along with it obviously becomes extremely important uh, I think Pierre showed you that uh, even though we kind of, of um, uh, put increasingly uh, larger and larger emphasis on the different mineral segments sec- uh, cement is by uh, by no means being um, being uh, given lower priority. It is still one of our backbones. It's where we came from. It's where we are extremely good. Uh, it, it's, uh, um, and it's our clear ambition to uh, keep on um, uh, sort of taking our share of the, of the world market there. And uh, as long as there's economic growth, as Pierre said, there'll also be growth in, in, uh, in cement. And uh, we intend to keep our high market share there. In spite of uh, obviously fierce competition in the marketplace, uh, my clear expectation is also that we really exploit this potential that we have in, in customer service and O and M, and that's also uh, the background for uh, our uh, organizationally speaking our focus on customer service as an own division, uh, so that we can secure that that it gets uh, it gets the attention that is absolutely needed. Um, we intend to fiercely go out and take uh, the opportunities that uh, lies in, in, uh, in the mineral uh, segments that we focus on, both within bulk uh, and uh, non-ferrous, obviously in a controlled and very focused fashion uh, so that we secure that, that, uh, that, um, that we can support, support it also financially, that, uh, that expansion. Uh, but I think it's, it's in our own hands, and we're brilliantly positioned to do Exactly that. Acquisitions, as I said, play a vital role. Uh, Ludovic is a brilliant example of an acquisition that uh, at, at one at the same time uh, increases our flow sheet coverage um, uh, significantly, but also gives us footprint in markets where we have traditionally been uh, been weaker. Uh, and especially Australia, it obviously moves us uh, or gives us a giant leap there. So, so I think that is that is and that is what our strong balance sheet should be uh, should be used for obviously uh, and I think we have a good track record also and I c- expect us to continue that in in integrating uh, and really leveraging these uh, these acquisitions uh, so that they can become productive uh, also in increasing our offering towards our customers and increasing our sales eventually um, my expectation is also that we continue to improve our cost structure uh, and efficiency to retain our competitiveness, that we stay lean uh, and that we stay, uh, that we stay uh, asset light uh, and that we keep uh, an intense focus on working capital and generating cash flow. Regarding the board and uh, management, um, if, if I start with the Board of Directors, uh, I think we have uh, compiled a very able Board of Directors composition uh, which reflects uh, substantial managerial uh, experience from uh, internationally operating industrial companies. Uh, we have, uh, as, and, and we make no secret of that, uh, we require from our Board members that they have CEO experience uh, and uh, that they have experience in, in m and uh, and uh, experience from, um, in, in finance and stock market issues. Uh, and uh, added to that uh, experience with international contracts and, and projects, I think we have compiled a, a real uh, strong board, which is truly international. Uh, and that was maybe one of my first reflections when I came to Smith three years ago. Uh, it was basically a, a Danish board with, uh, with one um, Swede, uh, who understood the language, uh, but it did in no way uh, sort of reflect the fact that we have uh, uh, 99.7% of our turnover outside, uh, outside Denmark. So that was one of my ambitions, and today uh, we uh, have three non-Dane members, and it's probably not going uh, to end there. Diversity is important, and uh, a lot has been said about diversity and will be said in the future. Uh, and uh, we have also female members on our board. We consider that uh, that um, very important. Uh, our latest addition was actually a French lady, uh, and to find a French lady who uh, who is an expert on cement business is more <laughs> is more difficult than the needle in the haystack. But we managed. We managed, uh, so uh, I think we're, we're well-equipped also in terms of, of diversity and, uh, and also following that trend and benefiting from that trend. <coughs> um, here you see our board after the la- last uh, AGM we had uh, shortly before Easter, uh, and uh, I won't sort of go through that, just mention the two last editions. One I mentioned, which was uh, Caroline Grégoire-Saint-Marie, who has uh, almost 10 years' uh, CEO experience from the cement industry, and we we added her to the board at the ADM, and we also added uh, Tom Knudsen, whom many of you will know, uh, who has uh, significant, obviously, not only CEO experience, but in this context, maybe more importantly, CFO experience, and he will head up our audit committee after uh, Jesper Overson left. So I think that was two very strong um, additions that we that we could um, that we could um, add to the board. Uh, one thing also I'd, I'd uh, like to mention, obviously, like all other uh, big public boards, we make use of committees and the usual ones like compensation, nomination, and audit. But we have also, uh, and in recognition of the fact that uh, FLS is first and foremost a technology company, we have added a technology committee to the board to secure that we have uh, the the necessary focus uh, and attention on R&D and uh, to secure that our our R&D really serves uh, its purpose, namely to, uh, in a customer-driven fashion, uh, really foresee what is it that will be in demand, not only now, but also in the years to come, and secure that we can have uh, a a superior offering, uh, which is is one of our ambitions, uh, always to have that towards our customers. Executive management uh, with this new structure also marks a flatter organization, uh, marks a um, divisionalization around these four uh, divisions that you've seen uh, in front of you today. Um, and uh, we found it uh, prudent and right to make a flatter uh, organization in, in, in sort of uh, recognition of the fact that m- minerals has for Eiffel's mid grown big. Uh, and there was uh, somebody who said to me in the break, that this is probably the first Capital Markets Day where uh, we haven't spoken mostly about cement. Today we've actually spoken mostly about minerals. Um, And uh, it is deliberate, uh, not because we find cement less important, but because uh, this is the trend and um, uh, minerals have already overtaken cement and it'll just be more and more obviously uh, extreme in, in the future. And we have to follow that development and and also reflect the fact that uh, many of the minerals uh, segments in themselves are uh, bigger than cement and have uh, maybe also even more potential in the long run uh, than than cement and this is our first step in in making these uh, um, these these new divisions into non ferrous and and bulk um, it's a flat organization that also brings sort of top management uh brings uh, Johan Huno and our new CFO, Ben, uh, whom will speak to you uh, afterwards, uh, bring them close to the organization and, and uh, able to be out there and support the organization uh, with, with their needs, but also, uh, obviously, uh, follow up and, and uh, amplify sort of all the requirements that they get from the board. Uh, we think we have a very strong team of now uh, six uh, professionals uh, in, our, in our top management, including two non danes so also there we, we, we sort of we took the step and became truly uh, international. We changed the uh, company language, if you will even in our statutes, to English so board, mem- uh, board meetings are and all uh, documentation are now in, 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 in English also uh, in maybe small things, but very very important to really sort of live the internalization and, and live the global opportunities that Evel Smith enjoys. Um, to stress uh, our focus on um, talent management and to reflect the fact that we consider uh, our uh, employees and our specialists, our experts, our greatest asset, we conducted a big management assessment among 50 managers uh, to uh, simply ins- ensure that we have the strongest team, team possible, obviously. And I, uh, uh, as, sh- as many of you will know, I've worked a lot with private equity. That's the first thing you always do when you go into a new company. You, you, you do this inventory of uh, what do we have, what is our inventory of human resources. Um, also, where can you develop more and eventually also uh, where do we have to strengthen our resources. And I think that is a great, great platform to have now. And that helped us in designing and uh, equipping the new organization, obviously. And I am, am really happy about uh, the way that has that has turned out. And a good example, although we regret to lose uh, Christian, uh, we are extremely happy that we could uh, then just go down in the organization and through Carsten find uh, a very uh, very able, uh, extremely skilled manager who's been uh, with us for more than two decades and uh, more or less can go in as plug and play. So now you know what I expect. <laughs> um, strategy, uh, obviously the overall all priority for, uh, the, um, for, the, for the board is to ensure a sustainable and, and profitable growth. And we will grow and uh, we will have to be extremely prudent about securing that, uh, that we do it in a sustainable fashion where we can expand our margins as we grow. We had an old goal, or that was we, that was the old board, that uh, one day minerals uh, should be the same size as uh, cement. Uh, We overtook cement now, and the new goal is that uh, we should uh, then be the market leader and preferred supplier in processing and handling of minerals in these selected industries, these selected uh, six segments uh, that you've heard um, so much about today. Uh, The board has obviously given the frame for the new strategy, Given the overall goals, uh, but there is no doubt that uh, now it's management that should go out and, and um, in a sovereign fashion, execute uh, this uh, this strategy and and empower uh, the management teams and employees to uh, deliver this uh, this this new strategy. Uh, what we'll c- uh, keep a close uh, eye on, and I alluded to that with the uh, when I spoke about the technology committee, is uh, our product strategies to secure that we stay technologically absolutely in the forefront because we think that is our life insurance that we, that we keep, on, uh, keep on doing that and sustain that uh, product and technological leadership. Capital structure uh, obviously extremely um, relevant uh, and uh, we adopt a conservative approach uh, to capital structure uh, and attempt to keep risk and uh, gearing low, but at the same time obviously uh, utilize the financial strength that we have gained and the freedom to act that that, uh, that, uh, that gives us. Our objective is uh, an equity ratio that exceeds 30% uh, and a gearing that uh, is below uh, two times uh, EBITDA. Um, our current uh, capital contingency and uh, acquisition capacity, if you will, Uh, is is, uh, relatively strong and we could obviously um, demonstrate that uh, by buying uh, Ludovici, by acquiring Ludovici. We have a club deal of uh, 5 billion Danish Kroner with a remaining duration of a little bit more than 4 years and additional facilities of 1.2 billion Danish Kroner. Finally, just a word on uh, compliance, which is also a focus area for the board, obviously. Uh, and uh, we comply, and we've moved a long way. For the ones who followed us, we'll we'll see that in the last two years we've moved a long, long way uh, in uh, fulfilling and following the corporate governance uh, recommendations, and we basically comply with all, with one exception, and if I'm not mistaken, that is on on management compensation where we don't uh, disclose the individual uh, packages and so on. But I think that's that's the only one apart from that we comply uh, on all accounts now diversity also uh, we've set ourselves goals there uh, we think realistic goals uh, because it it is not a it should never be a goal in itself uh, and also uh, we, we, we think that that uh, that um, that that we have to sort of it has to uh, it has to start with with um, we sort of the leadership layers, and that's where we set our goals. And then, uh, obviously, um, uh, later on, it will sort of filter through to boards also, not necessarily ours, uh, but, but others. Um, <coughs> so um, uh, both in terms of, of uh, uh, female uh, re- representation in, in management, uh, but also uh, international representation in management, we've set ourselves uh, goals uh, to, to, take us, to take us forward and to reflect uh, where we should be. Uh, one, um, I think, important aspect and, and thing I'd like to mention here is uh, that we have established a go- governance and uh, compliance function formally in the organization. Uh, and um, FLS, with its very, very widespread activities, uh, uh, geographically, uh, but also in a lot of countries where business practices are uh, different, uh, we, uh, there, there is a need that we really monitor these, these areas very closely. So we have uh, established policies for uh, uh, not only uh, code of conduct, but definitely also anti-bribery, anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, competition legislation, so on and so forth. And we take it extremely serious in the board, uh, and we, uh, for instance, just recently had a, uh, also an education of the board in terms of uh, competition compliance, uh, the same education that, that all relevant uh, employees get. And obviously we'll continue to also conduct regu- regular reviews of all these policies to secure that, that we are uh, we're up to date there. We uh, recognize that our reputation is, is uh, the most important thing that we have. That takes me to the end, and I'm open for questions. Please.
6: Uh, Christian Reinhardt from Small Cap Denmark. Uh, You have not mentioned at all today this little company you still own called Simbrit. Mm -hmm. I wonder what your ideas are about that, and uh, when can we expect you to spin it off or sell it or whatever
1: you want to do with it? Thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks for that question. Uh, maybe we should have mentioned, but but I, I think you <laughs> you always gave the answer yourself. Um, uh, Semprit is is non-core, uh, obviously, uh, has been for a while. Uh, but we have um, we worked with the company. Uh, it uh, it has had a great development and and uh, on the Bjarne's uh, stewardship, uh, we have a very positive development in, in SEMPRID and we are working towards a situation where we think. Uh, Semprit It is in a is in a shape where we can uh, we can divest it. I can't give you and I won't give you any timeline, uh, but it's um, it's getting closer. Just a little follow
6: up. Um, the previous uh, board uh, had an idea that uh, the the earnings should be at a peak. And not necessarily the price of the company. Uh, I don't know how you think <laughs> of that, but I would say that uh, <laughs> the most important for the shareholder is that you get the maximum price.
1: <coughs> I would agree. I would definitely agree. Uh, so, uh, and I I won't comment on what the previous board says, but definitely that that is uh, uh, we should absolutely extract the price that we can get. No doubt. Okay. Thanks a lot
0: bound now as you all know the backbone of any strong management team is to have the best CFO we found him in Norway and we are very happy that uh, Ben Goren today has been with us for exactly one week so he needs to learn just a little bit more about our industry But he brings a lot of valuable experience and new ideas from other international companies. And we thought you should also just have the opportunity to get a first hand impression of him, provided you don't ask any nasty questions yet.
11: (laughs) Thank you very much, uh, Huno. Good evening. I'm sure you are thinking about dinner when you're seeing me because we are closer to dinner. So let me be your uh, pre-appetizer. My name is Ben Guren. I uh, come from Norway, born in Oslo. And um, during the last years, I've been working in a group called uh, the Jotun Group, non-listed. A company uh, less uh, big in size than the F.L. Smith, but though very much established in the emerging markets around the world in uh, some uh, 70 countries with uh, 43 factories. Uh, my background is being a CFO. I planned to become a musician, and I went through the wrong door, and I ended up <laughs> like an accountant. And uh, I learned that there are some similarities which I had um, the opportunity to take advantage of. Uh, coming to Ethel Smith, uh, of course, there are like two arenas for me as being a CFO. First of all, uh, you. Being representatives is an important part of our business that we need to communicate well uh, to make sure that you get the best out of uh, us and that we also do. So that's uh, the one part of uh, my arena. But the other one is, of course, to execute and implement just as uh, the chairman said on the strategy defined. And my job is with the background to make sure that I can bring with me a toolkit that I can um, uh, take out the relevant tools and hopefully find the right way to, to use it in Eiffel Smith. So what I've been doing, I bring with me a kind of a toolkit or um, experiences. First of all, I'm a CPA, being uh, an accountant and an advisor in KPMG for 23 years. Uh, that means that I, I've been through some uh, changes and some projects for improving Uh, different parts in businesses and i hope i can do that also in fl smith and of course there is always a lot of opportunities in a group like fl smith so my job is together with the group management to identify and to execute on it i've been for 17 years uh, lecturing at uh, the norwegian um, uh, university of business administration norges handelseskole which is the norwegian uh, parallel to CBS, sorry for the comparison. Probably CBS is much better, of course. And, uh, and um, after uh, having had a career in KPMG, I decided that I would like to go to work on the other side. So my first uh, journey there was in uh, Heli Hansen, which you might have heard about. I was the CFO for this uh, sports apparel group. And uh, my ma- mandate was to, to do um, a change of ownership in that business. Uh, Starting with um, dressing the bride, uh, making changes and uh, getting ready for either a a, a relisting of that company or uh, new owners. And um, then, um, as we uh, managed that project, uh, I um, started in the Jotun Group where I've been for five years. I think the the main learnings that I bring with me from the Jotun Group is... um, the operational focus inside of the business, uh, working with um, let's say medium-sized companies in emerging markets, difficult markets, difficult cultures, but still manage a good corporate governance in these uh, areas. So I hope that I can contribute also in F Smith on this. So what are my focuses going forward? Not my words, but uh, my homework given from our chairman and also from the CEO, I, uh, first of all, they expect me to continue to develop the financial function in the group. So that is uh, one of the priorities. And of course, there are changes as we now have four divisions earlier two. So putting up and uh, making sure that we are functioning very well on all interfaces is part of my job. And in a group like FL Smith, there are opportunities for sharing services, sharing resources. And uh, we do it in a number of areas already, like engineering, within uh, IT help desk, and so on. But of course, there are more areas that we can do. My job is to contribute to that process and that journey. Uh, that is very much about cost efficiency and uh, also about making the organization more professional in areas where I can contribute. I will of course uh, work with acquisitions and uh, there will be discussions and beauty contests and mandates to deliver. So uh, we will of course have uh, dialogues in many ways with uh, some of the bankers and the corporate uh, houses, for instance. And um, um, I think uh, Wang Sørensen, he ended his presentation uh, talking about the regulatory, the regulatory environment being strengthened with uh, more focus on, um, on uh, compliance issues. And um, there are like uh, more narrow tolerance limits for in a number of areas. My job is, of course, to contribute to Ethel Smith being able to take the risk management one step further, focusing on uh, being uh, proactive rather than reactive in this area. And um, talking about financing, there is always a need for looking at the financing, the financial structure. Uh, supporting um, both the acquisition and the the cash flow uh, taking place at all time in the group. The last thing that I will focus on when it comes to the internal part is developing further the KPI focus to make sure that the organization all are being measured, followed up, monitored, and getting the reports they need, which is typical CFO work. I hope that I will manage, and uh, going forward, uh, I will meet you often. Can I please say, that uh, most of you I will have contact with several times a year. Uh, please uh, come to me, say hello. We have a program together with Pernille Fris um, uh, that uh, we um, would like me to meet all of you. So over the next months, I will. And uh, please give me advice because I expect from you to give me good advice, give me good observations, uh, provide good questions. Uh, we hope to be able to do the same. And... Um, Please respect me that I will try to take a humble start, being careful, not going too far or too deep into any questions. So no nasty questions, as Jürgen uh, Hunde said. Uh, looking forward to learn to know you all. And um, that was what I would like to present about myself. Any questions or any expectations you would like to mention before I'm going off the table? Okay, thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Ben. Thank you to everyone for coming here today. Thank you for your relevant questions. This concludes the first part, but you can put more questions and get more answers if you join us at the Vegas Mining Show in the fall, and then you can take up the invitation from Pete afterwards to go and see our minerals Processing Technology Center nearby, in Salt Lake City,